going on October 28th. New Rolling Stone. I don't keep I don't keep track of new stuff out of hip outside of hip hop. But I saw Rolling Stone had a new album and I thought, yeah, I gotta listen to this, whatever. Good song. A lot of shit I talk about, man. Really, a lot of shit. Last podcast, I didn't even finish off my, uh, I didn't even finish off my, like, full, all my full thoughts, and I had more thoughts to pile on. I, I can't keep. By, by the way, I should mention that the that Ryan Seard guy, uh, he got uh, he was found dead. Um, uh, you know, again, the you, they're definitely whatever the uh, in my personal again, this is not downplaying what horrible shit because whenever you put a conspiratorial, uh, you know, thing with it, it always has to be like the right because the right wing are the only ones right now that like will get conspiratorial about it, and, like, people on the, people who say they're on the left, they'll bring up the valid point of white supremacy and all that kind of stuff, but I still think they limit it, in my personal opinion. I, I, I know there's people who, uh, I know there's, there's certain people with, pl- with platforms, uh, you know, who know what I talk about, but they can't admit it, who will fucking take shots about, like, oh, it must be nice to talk about stuff that you don't know about, and not look at any research. And all. I, I never said my podcast was a research fucking podcast. I, I'm a mentally ill guy who's been dumbed down. And I come out and I give my fucking thoughts. I never say that my thoughts are 100% correct. This is my interpretation of it. And some of it is, you can say it's fucking crazy. Some you can say that there's some va- validity to it. I think, I think I'm doing a much more intriguing job analyzing fucking discourse. Um, more so than a lot of fucking people who, dis- who pretend to be left. Who, who, who get on the fucking, oh, I'm going to go tackle the fucking uh, cancel culture. And, uh, you know, um, 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 culture war fucking topics of, of a movie being fucking shit on by the right wing. While you. You're all while all of you are all pr- promoting the fucking movie, anyways. That's all. It's all boils down to. 
Like, there's a lot of you motherfuckers that do research and are smarter than me who fucking sports entertain and help fucking bring in more fucking fascism. But go, go ahead. Keep, limit, keep limiting your fucking narratives. Keep talking out of the side of your fucking mouth. I, I, I understand it. You're not, see, again, this just proves that a lot of people who get propped up are not happy with just being propped up because they know the propped up shit is under some kind of condition. Under, under conditional terms, basically. And then when they listen to me secretly, they see somebody that's giving his fucking actual genuine opinion, not fucking trying to get caught up in different fucking agendas by bad faith actors. I'm supposed to go with hive mind mentality. So if, you're not, if you don't agree with the online establishment, but the call, you're not fucking cool. As, as apparently, at the age of fucking 40, I'm still supposed to act fucking cool for some odd fucking reason. So with the whole fucking mass shooter thing, you know, uh, the whole mass shooter thing, um, it, it fucking, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a typical, oh, he killed himself, we don't know any answers, I think it's way more severe than what's going on, I think it's, uh, you know, different factions who are, uh, who are activating their Arkham Asylum weirdos to go and do shit, these people always have, some of these white shooters always have military background, they're hearing voices, they're mentally ill, and people just think mental illness and guns, and they don't even analyze both situations. Because even if you ban fucking guns, if you ban guns, and I'm not saying what they're called, that the, there isn't a gun problem, obviously, I'm not like being anti-gun legislation or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying what they're called, if uh, these people are, are, are activated to do what they fucking do, they'll find a way to get a fucking gun. And all people do is like, oh my god, can you believe they had lax gun laws? It's like, yes, it's on purpose. They're trying to, they're trying to create fucking bad shit to go down. I I, I just hate I just hate what they call you can't like you know ever like think outside the box in a realistic way. And the people who are who are right wing that are fucking you know um um talking about how something's off as well. What they call they're just in my personal opinion again it's my personal opinion. If they can spread conspiracy theories, then I'm allowed to fucking also be, be a conspiracy theorist, right? I I think they're projecting because their their factions are the ones that are, are responsible for it. I'm I'm allowed to fucking I'm allowed to think that just, just just like I'm allowed to think that just because like it's like no question who who are being the aggressors in Palestine and Israel. Um, you know, uh, like there's no question about it. Like the the fucking tactics that you know is, and even if let's say Hamas is guilty of something, right? And I'm and I'm not denying that Hamas isn't doing horrible shit or doesn't fuck up its own people. But I believe because Israel put them in place there, that no matter what Hamas does, it still falls on the government of Israel, not Israeli citizens. I know, I know there's people that don't want to fucking, you know, like people who just, and again, I'm not saying that there aren't, um, because like, if, if like, Netanyahu's like fucking, it's like, it's like, it's like Trump, like mega uh, Israel over there, right? If, if he's that, I can believe there's people who believe 
in what Netanyahu says and agree with them. There's, there's, yeah, there's definitely right-wing people that do that. But I'm not going to generalize and say everyone in Israel um, is completely fucking right-wing. That would be fucking stupid. It just, you know, it's, it gets fucking, you know, really, really fucking crazy. But I, I just can't keep up because, because because I also believe online by some of the bad faith actors online who are who are definitely fucking going like, you know, in a pro fundamentalist route. Even if they say they're anti-Israel, but like they're doing it at the behest of being pro pro Russia, like I'm a, I'm allowed to think that there's bad faith actors who are pretending to be pro Palestine. In 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 fact, I, I I personally think that a lot of the bad faith actors on the fucking who are supposed to be liberal, um, who are super pro Palestinian, they're actually right wingers. They and again, on official officially, they might register the Democrat. They might do democratic fucking things, but that doesn't mean that's who they truly fucking are. So I think a lot of these fucking showbiz type people or the established mainstream establishment pro Israel people are the ones that are trying to be like, you know, like, oh, like, there's no nuance to the conversation. They'll fucking downplay the genocide that's going on. They're doing that on purpose so that you feel fucking, okay, like, you'll find, like, common people who, gen- like, you know, genuine fucking people that are just for Palestine. They don't support Hamas. They support the fucking ending of the occupation. They support stopping the genocide. They fucking, they want, you know, they, they want Palestinians to be free, genuinely. Now, are there also people who are leading the charge with narratives online who are or who are funded by billionaires that what they call are pretending to be pro Palestinian? There's definitely that. If you if you can't take the, like, I I understand there has, there's barely ever been fucking. This is why it's surprising this era, because there hasn't been like this much fucking support from people who are public figures, um yeah um you know um in in uh you know um. Like, who, who are getting more fucking, you know... Co- like, the online shit is just as mainstream as the mainstream media. A lot of people consume shit online now. I'm not saying every single person does, and there aren't people that watch established news, but if you don't think there's more people now also watching fucking online shit, th- not even just media, just different fucking entertainment shit, where, like, like if, if you follow a celebrity and they make a comment about this, they're going to be informed by the... the, 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 the and that's why politics is seeping into every fandom. Like, like, you know, like, this is why TYT is going to, like, Jake and Anna can pretend to be pro-Palestinian as much as they want, but letting Ben Glebe dominate the fucking conversation, and, and like, you know what I mean, and, and he pretends to give a shit about Palestinians, but then he'll deny what's going on as a genocide. Even if you use what Hamas is doing, Hamas exists because of fucking Israel. And and when uh, and when um and when Ben Glebe used this again he this is how you know he's fallen off because he used the fucking son of the co-founder Hamas. 
Again, if, if Hamas was so fucking oppressive, and again, I'm not saying it, 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 Hamas isn't fucking horrible. I'm saying, but if they're so oppressive, how would one of their sons be able to go and speak to fucking mainstream fucking media? And he's giving a pro-Israel fucking stance, basically. So you'll take the so when so if Hamas gives you the message that you want, you'll take that at full fucking value. You won't have any nuanced fucking thinking. This is coming from people that always claim they fucking read. They don't fucking read. You can pretend you fucking read, but like if you're not fucking you know uh, if you're not like able to convince dumber dumb down people to fucking actually fucking understand what you're fucking saying, or if you're just going to be a prostitute for fucking, you know, the Israeli government, then I don't really give a shit how fucking smart you claim you are. Yeah, sure, make fun of my aesthetic, I don't give two shits. But you dominate the, con- Ben Glebe dominates the fucking conversation. He has people on the panel with him, not Jenk or Anna, because Jenk and Anna don't, you know, Anna Conspiracy doesn't want to, uh, you know, she doesn't want to, like, she's going more the right-wing route, so she doesn't want to be around for a real progressive fucking moment, basically. But the other co-host that, she ha- that they have on, he dominates the conversation, and then he uh, gives the right-wing framing, uh, you know, like, towards Palestinians, and then goes... So, are you saying you'd agree with this? Like, you're doing the exact same fucking shady thing. You're not a good faith fucking actor. In fact, I knew you are full of shit when you went on your viral Kanye rant, basically. Because, again, TYT are such prostitutes. All the, all the people that work there are such prostitutes for going viral all the fucking time that Ben, ben Glebe had to fucking be theatrical and bring uh, his dead relative for the Holocaust to go at Kanye West. How about you use those fucking photos to go and talk to the people who run the comedy fucking world um, who are tied to fundamentalism, anti-Semitic fundamentalism, but you won't. You'll call out maybe one or two guys in the comedy world in your limited fucking way while they fucking dunk on you because you fucking can't even fucking uh, outdo fucking far right-wing fucking people in your fucking own, in, in, in your own fucking world. And, and, and by his logic of saying Israel has the right to defend itself, then, okay, so then if, if Palestinians defend themselves from what the IDF is doing, then should I be concerned about fucking people dying then? Because by your logic, it's a war, right? So if, is, if Palestine fucking you know, fights back, then is, is that justified? What? How much oppression do they gotta fucking take, Ben? How much oppression do they gotta fucking, uh, how much more torment, how much more fucking, uh, um, prison-like fucking, um, mentality do you gotta instill into them before they're allowed to fight fucking back? And with the call, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that there's people who claim to be on the fucking left. Like, here's an example. And Bernie Sanders, whoever wrote it for Bernie Sanders knew what they were doing, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with um, him uh, showing solidarity after a five-year anniversary of a, of a massacre of Jewish people. I forget where, where, where it happened, but there was like a, a, a you know, the anniversary of it. But, like, like he, he knows 
or whoever wrote for him knows that doing doing it at a t- doing that at a time where like you just found out that like, you're finding out there's like electricity cut out and there's been like fifty hostages that have been fucking killed um by is by Israeli forces and all that kind of stuff. You do that on purpose and then what's it called? I I see maybe one or two people um basically kind of like oh read the room or something like that something like tame. There's a couple edge lords that were like blue, like blue check marks. I look at their accounts and they and they don't see them left at all. But then there's a bunch of pro-Israel liberal types who are not really liberal at all. Also, they're also conservative, um, who are basically like, oh, I'm seeing people on the left. I'm seeing people on the left um, get mad at this. The anti-Semitic comments are the charts. I'm looking at all the quotes. I'm looking down the fucking replies. What they're called. I saw more people crying about anti-Semitic comments than I actually saw of anti-Semitic comments. There's people online that's trying to gaslight you and trying to fucking manipulate you. I'm starting to believe there's actually no fucking left. And a lot of these people are trying to lead you into more conservative, conservative fucking thinking, essentially. I don't know. And then, and, 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 and then you have, again, my starting out of control, Bruce Almighty is in the fucking house. Slapping my fucking head. But no, but then you have Brianna basically putting out, like, messages about, like, oh, um, you know, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm happy this is happening because now people are not going to vote for Biden. So you make this about, like, like, here's the thing. There are things that I predict might fucking happen, but I don't actually want those to happen. The only reason why I'm putting it out there is so it doesn't take me by surprise if I end up being right about a lot of the horrible stuff that I think is happening or has happened, it's not going to make me fucking happy to be right. I would definitely love to be wrong. Right now, I'm right now. People argue I'm wrong, but I I also see the patterns of where this world is fucking going, and I see the overview of 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 how 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 this thing is uh, operated. You know, operated under. But, like, you know, it doesn't matter who you're going to vote for because the results on the surface will be the same. There's something that goes on behind the scenes, and I mean the real behind the scenes, that they don't want to tell. It's, like, akin to, like, you know, seeing, like, the backstage of, of like, you know, you go, oh, look, I'm seeing the backstage footage of Howard Stern. So this must mean that I'm seeing the actual backstage when that could also be orchestrated. But like, they're, but they're not telling you every single fucking thing that's going on. They'll tell you what's resulting in, on the surface, but they're not. Do- I, again, this is like me, me, me being trained by watching all the wrestling discourse when I didn't buy into that either. So now it's trained me to see how people are using that in the fucking political fucking world. That's what it fucking seems like to me, at least. 
and people are using this for, you know, their fucking, you know, to further their characters while we're sports entertaining into fucking, you know, fascism, basically. Like Lee, like Lee Fong, for example, is going to be using, like, for example, he, okay, he's calling out Nikki Haley, for like basically saying that anyone that uses it, I guess it, I know what it was, anyone who uses the term Zionist, is like automatically, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, like you know, automatically, you know, racist, whatever, and all that kind of stuff, and then Lee Fang is like mocking this shit. But then he's like, oh, this is like, uh, you know, that Kendi guy, the, the Kendi person who, uh, you know, did the, uh, I think the, like, who had, had, I don't know if they're responsible for doing the fucking critical race theory, the whole thing, or they wrote like a, a, a an article about it or something like that. I, I, I can't remember all the names, but he's, com- he, he's using the situation to go more into anti-blackness. That's what he fucking does. Because a lot of these people want to go into that route. By the way, here's, um... Here's, um... Anna Kasparian about she's going more into the uh, right wing route basically, and and by the way she's also like mocking the post left watch, and and listen I I'm not really uh, like I'm not saying that I trust post left watch with all their fucking takes, but some of the takes they have are spot on, but there's different people that have put different identities to this person, some people are claiming uh, you know he uh, the it's it's a Nazi account. You know what I mean, but you but but you don't know if like th- that's just people who are staying on the they're on the left discrediting it, just so because like you know the the, the accounts focusing on their on the, on their friends becoming more to the right basically. So do you think? Look, I'm I'm a believer in the Second Amendment. I've never I've never supported you know banning guns. But as I've gotten older and now living in California in the state that it's in, I do believe in having a firearm for self-protection, for self-defense. And I totally get where she's going to stay. advocates are coming from she's, when they feel... So she's trying to be... So she's, even though she lives in a gated community, she's trying to be unsafe so that she's advocating for, like, stand your ground. It, 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 it wouldn't shock me if she ends up shooting somebody. And, she, and, and you'll justify it because... Uh, because of what the call she was standing her ground or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying she's going to do it. But she's going in a, in a, in a more unhinged fucking... And to, to a lot of right-wing people, this makes a lot of fucking sense. Because I think people on the left are going too fucking crazy. But whenever you start advocating for guns, it means you're, like, taking money from somebody. Like, you're, you're taking dark money under the fucking table. to prom- Like, she promotes catalytic, catalytic converters. And I, I personally believe that she's doing fucking uh, advertisements for them. So now, when you start like being more pro gun, or you're caught with a gun, it's like a, it's like an, it's an advertisement for guns essentially, because it's gonna be in the fucking news. So it's gonna be talked about nonstop. Oh, 
that they are being punished with gun legislation when a bad guy, you know, carries out a mass shooting or a crime with a gun. I don't think that law-abiding citizens should be punished, which is why I think there are certain regulations that I think don't punish law-abiding gun owners while also making it difficult, increasingly difficult for criminals to get their hands on guns. So closing gun show loopholes, for instance, um, closing loopholes where you wouldn't need to go through a background check, like uh, buying a gun from a private seller, for instance. I think closing those loopholes makes sense. Going through a background check ain't a big deal, right? Um, but at the same time, just doing that alone, I don't think is going to solve this problem. I think that you're right. I think that there is a mental health crisis in the country, and we absolutely need to be serious about combating it. I do think, look... Even though, even though see, again, what, what these people don't mention is that the system that that's in play, like, they're the ones who add chaos into people's lives, and that's why everyone, even people who pretend like they're mentally there... Like an Anna Spirit or a Jane Huger or whatever, right? Because they're like, you know, oh, look, they're like, you know, in a news program. They have a suit on. They were dressed nicely and all that kind of shit. But like, you know what I mean? The system has made them fucking mentally fucking ill. Just they, some of these public figures get to cover up their fucking madness or whatever the fuck they do. And then the stuff that you see that's being sensationalized, I believe. Like, I, I'm not saying it doesn't just genuinely happen also. But I'm saying that the ones that you see sensationalized are designed for, you know, content. Like, right now, people are getting at Mr. Beast because apparently he fakes his fucking content for something. I don't know the whole fucking story. I try not to dive in to some of the... Like, I don't even know about that, that SSS sniper wolf person. I, what the, I, I didn't even want to get started. I was like, should, should I go down this path to know? But it's like, the, the controversy is what makes you know about them. Like, they just, like, some, somehow just existed, and all of a sudden now they create a controversy, and this is how they get discovered, because you can only be discovered by doing controversial shit. I don't know. But, like, she's talking about mental health and all that kind of shit. But these people don't actually care about mental health. They really, they really don't. They actually fucking, you know, they don't actually in, uh, talk about how there's... Like, she's going off about... Uh, this is how mentally ill she is. She is doing stories about how students need to toughen up about speakers they don't agree with. Even though the speakers that they always talk about are people that are paid to come and do speeches, that are paid propaganda. It's not about free speech or anything like that. But she tells the students to toughen up and, you know, listen to ideas that aren't uh, yours. But then she can't even speak to someone on the left anymore. She got called birthing person once and she snapped. How about you toughen up? You're the one that's giving, like, don't give lectures about people toughening up when you're surrounded by people. And the reason why you talk so fucking tough is because you're backed up now by right-wingers. So now you feel fucking confident talk all your fucking shit. Because nobody gives two fucks about you, and now you have to push... This, this, there's a massacre going on in Gaza right now, and she made the discourse about her, basically. She basically goes, oh, I gave a bunch of you lefties uh, topics to talk about for the next week or so. No, it's because you're, like, forcing 
and, and, you, and you're promoting yourself in a controversial fashion where your fucking bullshit will get the, 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 the brunt of the viral fucking shit while there's horrible shit going on. And then you get the bare minimum credit, credit because you're saying, oh, I, I, don't, I don't agree with what Israel's doing. Give me a fucking break. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just so fucking flustered with all this shit. I, you know, I'm just trying to gather my fucking thoughts. I, I know, I in, in my head, I'm like, because this is how I normally talk to myself anyways. And then I have these pauses. And now I'm, I just forget that I'm recording because then I'm just fucking going off on this shit. Give me one second. I'm going to get a fucking get some water. Can, uh, you know, I just can't stand when uh, it just—it's becoming so obvious to me what's happening. Like I, I even see accounts online going. At this point, I hope anyone primary is Biden. Okay, no, okay, fine, cool. I'm with I'm with you on that. Like ideally, even if I if I want to buy to the K fame that another contender for the world title is actually gonna like do the change because you know it's it's pointless when Vince McMahon is still running shit. Right? But it's like, oh, I don't care what their ideology is. Like, why would you say... Like, why would people say something stupid like that? Like, it makes you think that a lot of you are, are just fucking pretending to be con- concerned for your engagement because you might get paid off it. You're paid by somebody to go online and pretend to be fucking concerned. And then when the fucking first chance that arrives for you to go to the right-wing fucking fundamentalism shit, you're going to cross over to that fucking side. And it feels like I'm the only one that fucking doesn't want to go through that side. And, I, and and it's not me saying, oh my god, anyone that supports Palestine is go is 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 a, is pro Hamas. I'm not gonna do that bullshit. Cause I know that the good majority of people that are fucking going in and protesting are not pro Hamas. They know what's going on. As much as the mainstream media wants to like play the fucking like they're amplifying their villain status by like you know making it transparent that they don't give a shit about Muslims. So then, you, so, so then people feel disillusioned by, you know, the, the mainstream media that they start going to other places. But that's also fucking, cause that's why I say that it's like fundamentalism on the same coin but different sides. Because the people who have fucking, you know, prominent fucking role, roles in fucking, you know, alt-media spaces 
are the ones who get to fucking pretend they fucking care about Israel or Palestine. There's people over on the left that are fucking uh, downplaying, uh, like, because Piers Morgan's pretending to be pro-Palestinian on some fucking level, uh, and asking questions, whatever, what the cult people uh, are going to start easing Piers Morgan into being... Uh, um, b- being this fucking, uh, you know, this, 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 uh, um, uh, you know, guy that turned his life around, basically. When I, I already know, uh, what side Piers Morgan's on. Like, uh, you know, the, the, um, um, Hassan Minaj actually came out with a retort to, uh, what was happening. And because I believe that social media storylines, like, me, me, Meaning that, like, if I'm buying into the storyline, then I guess Hassan Minaj did get screwed officially by this narrative. But the fact that he has recordings of this, and there's a whole thing now where, like, people are... Pro- like, like w- people on the left can also prop up cancel culture, because right-wing do it all the time. So I guess you gotta fight back when, like, somebody, you know, um, actually got screwed over officially. But now I'm starting to wonder the whole... Fu- I'm starting to wonder... Uh, if this whole controversy wasn't designed for him to do that. Like, meaning, is he gonna go, is he gonna go the route of, like, oh, what's it called, I'm no longer, I'm no longer, um, a left, and I'm gonna go more, and he's gonna start joining more right-wing fucking media? Who, for, I, you, you, because, 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 because I, I do think it's, it's, it, it is marketing. But, like, but it, it's, it's amazing to me that, like, the comedy world... Like, I gave this by design, too, on purpose. To, like, show that there's factions feuding between different different entertainment institutions and different industries. But, like, there was, but, but there was more vitriol from fucking... Uh, I, I hope Anna Kasparian, by the way, uh, retracts her fucking story about Hassan Minaj since she pretends that she gives a shit. She, she won't do that, though. And, oh, and definitely Bill, Bill Maher won't definitely do that. Bill Bill Maher's the biggest piece of shit. He definitely won't fucking do that. Let me see. Um. I was rejected from prom. Now, let me first say this. I am 38 years old with a wife and two kids. I do not give a shit about prom. But it's a big story from my first stand-up special and the New Yorker implied that I made it all up and that my race wasn't a factor in my rejection. But it was, and I have the evidence to prove it. So... Wouldn't it be something if, like, even 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 him proving stuff, like, you know, like he's going to go and prove show receipts. Wouldn't it be hilarious if, like, now, like, this ends up being a controversy because this ends up being a lie, too? It would be like a Nathan Felder experience, basically. Homecoming King. I told a story about how I was supposed to go to prom with a white girl named Bethany Reed. Her real name is not Bethany. I changed it to protect her anonymity. I say that I show up at Bethany's house on prom night, but at the doorstep, her mom tells me they don't want her to go to prom with me because they'll be taking a lot of pictures and they don't want their family back home to see her with a brown boy. Bethany's mom did really say that. It was just a few days before prom. 
and I created the doorstep scene to drop the... Isn't, so isn't this, like, standard fucking comedy shit? Like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, like, the biggest expert on comedy. I know people think I, people think I, I am the, people, people think that I assume that I'm the, I'm an expert on it, but I just, I'm adamant about, like, you know, tactics that are used in comedy, or, or what propaganda is spewing from it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I would call, I can be a little bit picky with my, what I'm gonna find funny now, because I've let too much fucking unfunny shit come into my fucking existence. But then, okay, so if everyone's, uh, giving shit to, uh, Hassan Minaj for lying in a stand-up, then all the horrendous shit that you guys say that you joke about, that you say is like, oh no no, this is just a joke, man. What the call? I don't really, I, I didn't really do that. I didn't really, I don't really feel that way. So now my supposed to assume that all the fucking pedophile jokes that a lot of you edgelord comedians make, that a lot of you are telling the truth, because again, I'm, I'm told that you're supposed to tell the truth in comedy. I I, I didn't know that what the call. I I thought that the whole point was what the call. No man, it's just comedy, man. It's just it's just comedy. It doesn't have to be true. But, but, by the way, listen, I'm... In the kayfabe story, yeah, I'm glad Hassan fucking kept fucking receipts. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad he kept receipts, basically. But, like, I, I still believe this is, like, a, a kayfabe storyline. But it's like cancel. It's like this time. It's like it's like cancel culture for the left, basically, where like you'd have a right wing person do this type of shit, whatever. But I guess because Hassan Minhaj right now is seemingly a good guy, you should root for him. But like I'm, I'm also wondering if like you know like like this ends up being, you know, a, a way for him to kind of go like you know, like I feel people. I feel like people in show business. Like, 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 I'm not saying, like, you know, like, again, it's not about the Palestinian people. Like, I mean, it should be, it should be solely about them. But these celebrities make it about them and they insert themselves in the conversation. And you just go, okay, well, they're pro-Israel, I'll take their side. Or they're, they're pro-Palestinian, I'll take their side. And even though I like the sentiment of, a pro, like, you know, people being pro-Palestinian and giving the a Palestinian fucking narrative. I, but I'm allowed to question people who might be using, like, you know, might be saying the good things, and then also then lead you into, like, a fundamentalist fucking world, basically. You know what I mean? Like, I'm allowed to question that for some odd reason. Like, I can question it in my orbit, where people aren't pretending they don't listen to me. But in a conversation, people will, like, dismiss it. You know, audience into the feeling of that moment, which I told the reporter. Is the doorstep moment true? Like, no, is, did that happen? No, no, no. It happened before. Like, but the emotional truth remains the same. Her mom going, "Hey, sweetie, we like we take photos, and we don't want people to see. We have family back home." Did, did she sort of give that as the reason of like my parents aren't comfortable with yes. going? To, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was it just yeah. destroyed me. Yeah. Sure, that's understandable. The reporter said it's understandable. But none of what I explicitly said makes it in the article. This is what they wrote instead. She told me that she turned down Minhaj, who was then a close friend in person days before the dance. Minhaj acknowledged that this was correct, but he said that the two of them had long carried different understandings of her rejection. This whole paragraph 
makes it sound like I got friend-zoned by Bethany, and then I turned into an angry incel and then faked racism to get back at her. And I think this sentence is the reason why people believe that. He said that the two of them had long carried different understandings of her rejection. This sentence is incredibly misleading and implies the exact opposite of what I meant. Let me explain. Okay. Over a decade after prom, in August of 2014, Bethany and I met at a restaurant called Sarah Beth's in New York, and we cleared the air on what her mom said to me at prom. Now, I talk about this in Homecoming King, and I also told the New Yorker about this meetup. She had an understanding that we were, like, totally cool. And, like, I had been carrying something completely different. And I just told her what it meant. Like, it's like, do you understand what it's like being, like, a skinny Muslim Desi Brown kid in Davis, California? And you know, we're always told to put our head down and just take it. And I did. And I carried this water mm-hmm. for like years and years. When the article says we had different understandings, what I clearly meant was that Bethany never knew how much her family being racist had affected me. That's why we had different understandings. Not because Bethany denied this happened. In fact, Bethany basically confirmed in writing that racism was a factor in the prom rejection. In 2015, I sent Bethany an email congratulating her on her wedding to a man of color, saying, I know I told you about sharing the story about us not being able to go to prom together with kids and communities to talk about forgiveness and perseverance, but this ending, you guys getting married, is proof that love conquers all. It's a testament to the way the world truly can be. This whole thing is filled with storylines. And here's to a life filled with gorgeous Zayn Malik mixed-race babies. Yep, I'm aware. I write emails the way Lin-Manuel Miranda talks. I'm not proud of it, but let's stay focused. Bethany then replied saying, I do think love conquers all. And while it might always be challenging, true love is worth the fight. We also had the unique opportunity to showcase both our cultures at the wedding. The next controversy, this email wasn't really... So if this email is proven not to be a true email that was sent by this Bethany chick, then does he fucking also fucking play... Well, you see, I was actually giving you the experience of somebody that was getting canceled and had to prove his uh, thing. Here's a proof of the time that I was being canceled. Ceremony for each. I think my parents have come a long way too. And what would her parents have to come a long way from? racism again i don't care about prom i mean that and bethany didn't do anything wrong and i wish her and her family nothing but the best her parents have grown my parents have grown that's the point of the whole show and that should be celebrated love conquers all but i do not appreciate the new yorker implying that i made up racism my team and i repeatedly try to give them the emails that you just saw as early as, you know, I, I believe fall 2014. I have these a few. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. we have email correspondence in 2017, which we can give you. Okay. Then I now shift to email correspondence, which she can give you. I have it. I can yeah. 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 So there's all. I'm happy to give you all these emails. Sure. Not only that, we confirmed the emails were sent to the reporter and their fact checker before the article came out. Therefore, they knew my rejection was due to race. I confirmed it on the record and provided corroborating evidence. And yet, they misled readers by excluding all of that and splicing two different quotes together to leave you thinking that I made up a racist incident. Now, the article also implies that I humiliated Bethany and got her doxxed with my carelessness. So I want to show you evidence that shows that that isn't true. Back in November of 2015, when Homecoming King was running off Broadway, Bethany came to the show 
And this is how the New Yorker reported it. The woman said that Minhaj had invited her and her husband to an off-Broadway performance. She'd initially interpreted the invitation as an attempt to rekindle an old friendship, but she now believes the move was meant to humiliate her. I promise it was never my intention to humiliate Bethany at the show, but this reporting is false. I looked back at our emails and I found out that I didn't invite Bethany to that show. She emailed me out of the blue and told me that she was coming because her friend saw the show and said they loved it. After the show, Bethany also texted me that it was awesome and we kept in touch for years. I included her in the journey with full transparency. I put her in touch with fact checkers from This American Life. Dude, I invited her to the Netflix really, party. Wait, I even emailed her to see, take... The fact that there's all this detective work, like, dude, even this fucking feels like kayfabe. Like, I'm glad the symbolic victory of him fucking proving receipts, but something tells me we're going to find out more where, like, the, the, this is going to be proven to be a lie. And then it'll, it'll make his case even worse. So it'll make it worse for... You know what I mean? Like, dude, I, I, I don't want to think that, but this just seems way, you know... ...down a tweet that might reveal her identity. Bethany then responded with a really nice email that ended with her saying, P.S. Thanks for the heads up on the tweet. I deleted the other ones, but this one escaped me. It's shockingly hard to resurface old social media, apparently. Thanks, too, for always protecting me and my family. I don't think I've ever formally thanked you for that, and I do sincerely appreciate it. Even in the Netflix special, I don't use any real photos of Bethany or her family. Those are actors, and their faces are blurred. Maintaining Bethany's anonymity has always been a priority for me. I would never want her to get doxxed or harassed, and if there were any... Negative consequences that came your way, Bethany, I am sorry about that. I am not perfect, but I promise I am not needlessly cruel, even though that's what the New Yorker wants you to believe, despite the evidence. I was an open book. I sat down in good faith. They had my testimony and four years of correspondence backed up with receipts all on the record that showed my race was a factor in my prom rejection. I wasn't careless with Bethany's privacy. And she thanked me for keeping her family's identity safe. So how could the New Yorker imply the opposite? But here's the bigger question. Why did the New Yorker fact check my stand-up special, but not properly fact check their own article? See, this reeks of like, oh, like another, like mean that like, like officially like, the, like these established media types are becoming more and more discredited. So like this is good. like so like people think that this was like sabotage for him not to get the uh, Daily Show job basically since and since we're supposed to look like a pro wrestling thing like since they show you these tactics in, in succession and all that kind of shit or in that fucking that Apple series about like the fucking daytime uh, talk show television whatever I forget I wanted to watch it but you know it's on my list but whatever. Let's see the second half of the response. I'm trying to look for the whole. I'm trying to look for the whole. Uh, trying to look for the whole fucking thing. Hold on, let me see. Hold on, let's Coming out of the Middle East right now. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Critics are raising questions about Hassan. Oh. happening in the world. I'm aware, even talking about this single news so, outlet. 
So, so he, he used Bill Maher in this clip. Let me see. Hold on a second. All of them basically saying the same thing. Critics are raising questions about Hassan Minaj and whether he and other uh, comedians should be more truthful with their materials. One of Mr. Minaj's stories is about a white girl he asked to the prom who spurned him on the big day when her parents didn't want pictures taken with a brown boy, except it never happened. Now, with everything that's happening in the world, I'm aware even talking about this now feels so trivial. But being accused of faking racism is not trivial. It is very serious, and it demands an explanation. So to everyone who read that article, I want to answer the biggest question that's probably on your mind. Is Hassan Minhaj secretly a psycho? Underneath all that pomade, is Hassan Minhaj just a con artist who uses fake racism and Islamophobia to advance his career? Because after reading that article, I would also think that. So I took a beat before responding. Because like you, I've been paralyzed by the news coming out of the Middle East. He has to always be overdramatic. I've been processing so all he, the criticism. He has to be like this overdramatic, full house fucking guy. You know what I mean? You can just say you're fucking pissed off, dude. It's come my way. And I just want to say, to anyone who felt betrayed or hurt by my stand-up, I am sorry. I made artistic choices to express myself and drive home larger issues affecting me and my community. And I feel horrible that I let people down. And the reason I feel horrible is because I'm not a psycho. But this New Yorker article definitely makes me look like one. It was so needlessly misleading. Not just about my stand-up, but also me as a person. The truth is, racism, FBI surveillance, and threats to my family happened. And I said this on the record. So I'm going to do the most Hassan Minaj thing ever. I'm going to do a deep dive on my own scandal with graphics because there was so much evidence I gave the New Yorker that they ignored that I want to show you. So buckle up because it's about to get tedious. There are three stories from that article so that I'll, I want to address. So, he, he, so I, I was on the first one already, right? Or just Zayn Malik. But I do not appreciate the New Yorker implying that I made up racism. Not only that, we confirmed she emailed me that's what the new yorker wants you to believe but receipts all on the record that showed my race was a fact here's the bigger question why did the new yorker me against the hood of a cop car okay, harassed by an fbi and yeah. fact check their own article okay, so, so now they're still here i have two more stories that i want to address now, in my second special, The King's Jester, I tell a story about how I met and was harassed by an... See, the, the fact that this happened on different fucking specials is like, now you're, like, reintroducing the specials again. You know what I mean? Like, I can always see the tactics being used. I mean, it, it's good to use it against, like, against, like, you know, if you're going to fight against racism. But I still think, like, you know, a lot of the stuff with celebrities is sports entertainment. Behind format named Brother Eric talk about how he tried to entrap me at a gym and when i made fun of him he slammed me against the hood of a cop car the truth is i did have altercations with undercover law enforcement growing up and that experience formed the basis of this story but it didn't go down exactly like this so i understand why people are upset people face real danger at the hands of the police and false stories can undermine real stories and i am sorry i added to that problem my intention wasn't to take away from these stories. 
It was to spotlight them through my special. That's why I used this story to talk about Hamid Haya. Hamid and I were part of the same NorCal Muslim community. When he got entrapped, it rocked our community, and he spent 14 years in prison. We were the same age, same background, and like him, I also had run-ins with undercover agents. I was even physically harassed by them while playing basketball. Now, you're probably wondering, why not just say that? So this is not an excuse. It is an explanation of my process. When I am storytelling, every beat has to do multiple things in a funny and impactful way. With the story, I had to set up three plot points. The moment I realized authority figures hate being made fun of, why I named my show Patriot Act, and spotlight the story of Hamid Haya. The problem is 99% of people watching Netflix have no idea the FBI spied on Muslims at mosques or they don't even believe it was real. And I know this because when I performed earlier versions of the story in front of audiences, they had no idea what I was talking about. FBI agents embedding in mosques and entrapping young Muslims through basketball or weightlifting or whatever, it sounds insane. But it was happening all over the country, even in my mosque, in my hometown. It was infiltrated. And the footage that I used in the special proves that it was very real and very stupid. I wanted to recreate that feeling that only Muslims felt for a broad audience. The feeling of paranoia and vindication, tension and release. That is why people laugh at this part. You don't get the release without the tension. That was my artistic intent, which I told the New Yorker. If you notice something about, even in the show, we pop out of it. And this is actually the point I was trying to make. Uh, my dad goes, that's not Brother Eric. His, na- his, na- his name is not Eric. His name is Craig. And the, 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 the moment that the, the reaction the audience is having is, nudge me, you're missing the point. Yeah. The point is, is that it's, it doesn't matter if his name was Eric, Craig, or Adam. The point is, is that there is now a pattern here at large. Sure. And that- the thing is, what they're called, uh, you know, what they're called, like, you know, I feel like a lot of people in general are fucking agents anyways. Like, I feel like a lot of people, like, for example, I, I can't prove that I've, you know, uh, that I'm officially, um, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I officially, you know, have, uh, Talk to agents on different streaming platforms, whether it's Periscope, maybe even Tumblr, you know, Facebook Live, and all that kind of shit. But because the online has a bunch of informants and online agents, and you wouldn't think that because because of the people that try to entrap you into saying shit, making threats, so that they can fucking you know they always watch you so they have a reason to fucking think they're concerned. But people people have dismissed the internet so much. As like, oh, this is just this fringe group where people just go and post randomly. Not that, like, there's people that are trying to lure you into cults and, you know, make you more fucking radical and make you more extreme. I've caught that from all fucking ends, basically, when, 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 when looking at that shit. I don't know. It's another fucking, one of those fucking things, I guess, you know. But, like, you know, him being in show business, he's around agents all the fucking time. So, like, even, like, he has to just kayfabe it to make it seem like, you know. 
like right now he could be his right now he could be in his in his agent phase, since all celebrities are basically fucking agents undercover anyways. That was the thing that I was trying to do, and ultimately, the emotional truth of trying to point a spotlight on my community story and, and Hamid's story is important to me. Hamid Hayat's story is really important to me, and he reached out to me after the article came out, and he wanted me to share these texts. He said that he had nothing but love for me and that I hadn't diminished his story. That's what I was trying to do. But the reporter was far more concerned about the FBI informant I talked about in the special, which honestly felt very weird. In the story about the informant, actually the bulk of the story is about Craig Monty. Like sure. you, and so did sure. you reach out to Craig Monty? No. Do you feel like you owe him anything? I've heard some things and I'd rather not speak on that. So you feel like you don't owe him you didn't owe him, like, a heads up. As a Muslim, am I supposed to apologize to an ex-con who tried to entrap Muslims for the FBI? Yeah, maybe if he gave us a heads up, I would owe him a heads up. Now, the last story I want to talk about is the anthrax care. My last special, I talk about how I received a letter in the mail, and when I opened the letter, white powder fell on my daughter, and we had to take her to the hospital only to find out it was not real anthrax. This, as you know, is not how it went down. And let me just say, I am sorry for embellishing the story or if anyone was worrying about me and my family. I apologize. But let me make something clear. A letter with white powder was sent to my apartment in February of 2019. I opened it in the kitchen. Powder fell on the table and my daughter was just a few feet away. After 10 seconds of freaking out, I realized it was not anthrax, and that someone was fucking with me because people had been fucking with me since January 1st, 2019, after this happened. Netflix under fire today after its decision to pull an episode of a comedy show that was critical of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The truth is, when this news broke, my life got very scary. Saudi bots were spamming my socials. A threatening letter was sent to Netflix. I was getting weird phone calls at night. Then fake anthrax was sent to my house. And after that happened, I asked Netflix for our security guard to follow me everywhere, and people noticed. Friends were texting me about seeing me rolling everywhere through New York with security. And at one point, my wife even asked our security detail if he knew any companies that sold those tiny GPS trackers for strollers because we were concerned that someone might try to kidnap or hurt our daughter. That is all real. The danger at that time was palpable, but Bina and I decided to keep the anthrax scare private because we were worried that Netflix might shut down my show, which would have put my entire staff out of work. Now you might be wondering, this is all terrifying, so why embellish? Why even say you took your daughter to the hospital? The night of the anthrax scare, Bina and I, we got into a huge argument and she kept asking, Hassan, what if this powder fell on our daughter? So I created the hospital scene to put the audience in that same shock and fear that me and Bina felt playing out that night. Then I added the investigator character because women in my life were telling me that Bina was coming off super naggy in old versions of the story. So I gave some of Bina's lines to other characters so that her perspective was represented in a way that didn't reflect poorly on her. Again, I am sorry if I crossed a line here, but I told the story this way to put the audience on the roller coaster ride that we were both experiencing at that time. Now look, I understand why people were upset by all of this. Different comedians, 
have different expectations built into their personas. I thought I had two different expectations built into my work. My work as a storytelling comedian and my work as a political comedian, where facts always come first. That is why the fact-checking on Patriot Act was extremely rigorous. The fact-checking in my congressional testimony, deeply rigorous. I don't think there's any comedian on earth who has stood in front of more data viz than me. But in my work as a storytelling comedian, I assumed that the lines between truth and fiction were allowed to be a bit more blurry. And I totally get why a journalist would be interested where that line sits. I just wish the reporter had been more interested in their own premise. Someone genuinely curious about truth and stand-up wouldn't just fact-check my specials. They would fact-check a bunch of specials. They would establish a control group, a baseline, to see how far outside the bounds I was in relation to others. All right, I'm done, I'm they, done. You know, I mean, basically, do the, you know... I mean, I like I like the guy and all, but I mean, I mean, I mean, I know he had to do this, but it's like, dude, it's like the most polite fucking, you know, pull a bit more, dude, like you're you're allowed to be upset about people fucking, you know, shitting on your fucking name, you know what I mean? Like this guy's coming back all polite, like doing an Aaron Sorkin dialogue, you know. I don't know. It's just it's becoming, you know, stupid. By the way, anyone who's buying into, like, this whole, like, Mitt Romney, like, I, again, this is what I hate about fucking people who, like, like cover the, like, the p- political shit, like, it's, like, gossip shit. And you can't tell me it isn't tabloid gossip shit when, like, Matt Gates is, like, basically telling some, um... Some some Republican that he's that he outed some fucking Republican. Thing is, you know, I'm not about outing people, but if you're somebody that's like doing shitty fucking things that are harming other marginalized communities and all that kind of shit, and you're aligned with like people that are being fucking fascist, uh, you know, I, I I I I don't fucking give a shit if you're outed. It it just it just shows that some of these people's homophobia in in that world. In the in the right wing fucking world is like because like they they self project because they're ashamed of fucking being gay themselves, so they fucking shame people who are not fucking you know who are not ashamed of it, harming regular people in the communities. And 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 they might have like sensationalist fucking delegation members who are public figures, who might you know might say some good shit but might do something shady where they. You know, can use it to weaponize against the entire community. That's why it's dangerous with celebrities who do the representation thing. Not that it's it's a bad to represent for your community or anything like that, but since like you know, since they'll be defined by that, anything that happens to them that's negative, that like you know, makes them look like a bad person, like that will definitely be. The definitely the people who who try to discredit them will now change it to, like, you know, they'll now, you know, um, make it seem like, like oh, like, oh, see, because he's gay or because he's that, that's why he's doing it. But, like, but that's where our political world has gone to, you know what I mean? Where, like, politicians are literally doing fucking, you know, like, outing people for being gay, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is, like, some, like, next level of shit that, you know, we didn't see in the 90s. 
I'm not saying it wasn't chaotic with, like, systemic shit, but I mean, like, as a reality show fucking playing out on the surface. Like, like people don't realize that the, like, the, like, the, the vitriol that fucking is, like, you know, uh, put out there. Like, people can point out systemic shit, right? What someone does systemically. And I understand that doesn't get as much fucking coverage as someone, like, if Donald Trump burps or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, it, it won't get that much coverage. But to me, it feels like, uh... It feels like, um, it feels like when you, like, you know, somebody who's influential can literally, you know, um, uh, you know, um, like they can activate a lot of extreme fucking behavior. And I think people downplay what influence people can have. Like if I started copying all the good things some fucking, you know, comedian does, people would definitely be like, Hey, he's copying that comedian or whatever. But if I do shitty things because I've been, you know, uh, consuming, you know, shit that makes, you know, that's impressionable on the youth, then it's like, with a cold, I'm not allowed to say that that helped influence me or helped put that in my fucking head. And that's why some of these, like, entertainment institutions are like, you know, they're like unchecked fucking, you know, government agents, essentially. Because they have a lot of power, but they have to pretend like they're dumbed down fucking people. Like, the whole notion of, like, I'm going to be the celebrity that points out that nobody wants to hear these celebrities talk, even though you're getting fucking, you know, even though you're doing pandering shit by being the celebrity that's going to go against the other celebrities that might fucking talk about an agenda or something like that. Because your fucking speech isn't an agenda at all whatsoever. So anyways, so everyone gives Mitt Romney this credit for, you know, because now he has nothing to lose. Dude, he has something to lose. He's obviously what they call, not not exaggerating the mega violence, but he's acting like people behind the scenes who are politicians are also scared of the mega violence. When I believe that, like, they're all in bed together trying to incite and they probably activate a lot of the mega violence. So it gives you the truth of previewing what could happen in the future. But they also give plausible deniability that it's only Donald Trump that's the fucking threat. And that's why you make it seem like, you know, the only way that it can, that everything can go nuts is if Donald Trump just fucking happens to snap. Not that there's people who are working hand in hand with him. This has been a fucking very, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. This has been a very fucking, you know, uh, a, a very, you know, uh, concocted plan, in my personal opinion, of, of what I believe they want to accomplish. I'll go through other shit right now with, um, um, with like, you know, so, with the call, I'll, I'll go over some of this quickly because I'm, I, I need to do dyna, the Dynamite and, uh, you know, Rampage recap, but, um, and SmackDown as well. Whenever they do more advertiser discourse, I always, uh, I always think that, um, whenever they do more advertisers discourse, I always think that, um, that, like, you know, oh, look, we're going to discourse about advertisers leaving Twitter, right? But I feel like 
in other ways, they increase advertising in other areas with personality that are paid to be online to advertise different products through controversy. Because then it looks like it's a discussion, not an ad- advertisement. But it's like a social media spot. It's like this conversation has been brought to you by, by Menon, you know. So that's my opinion on that. I'm doing a speed round because I got fucking shit to do, but, you know. Uh, there's concern for Kodak Black, I guess, um, because he looked very strung out on, like, the Drink Champions preview. And it's like, yeah, the in- the industry, like, dude, like, he's another guy who's a cog in the system. That the industry, like, I'm, I'm not saying the stuff that he's done is, like, not on him either. Like, it's not excusing anything he's done. But this is what fucking the, especially in the hip-hop industry, this is what they market some of these people to be, basically. And every entertainment institution has that, where, you know, you just don't know, but, like, for example, when it's, when it's the rapper, because, like, it's, like, there's crime involved, like, on the transparent level. Even though I can believe that all entertainers are, like, doing, like, Kodak Black-level shit. It is you might just think, oh, this oh, this comedian that's, like, Kodak Black, he, he's, like, the same issues with, like, you know, substance issues and all that kind of shit, but he's not out killing people. It's, like, you don't fucking know that. Uh, Blueface got his, uh, new girl... See, again, this is, this is how they, uh, get you an official job. Like, for example, even though, like, people who think that this is all real, they think this person doesn't have talent, right? So then they gotta get you an official job where it's, like, now she gets to be a rapper, where she'll put out a song, but it's mostly gonna be about her and Blueface and their antics. I think it's Jada... I don't know what her name is. Everyone, it was for introduced that he was dating her or, or that he showed up with her. People were comparing her to that comedian Drusky. You know, I think Drusky, I'm not sure Drusky was the one that fucking, uh, uh, was the one that, uh, did it first. Like, he's the one that, uh, named it or did someone else do it, but I know he addressed it. But, I mean, whenever anything with Blueface happens, it's like, you know, so, so basically, by her getting a deal, now it's going to be even more reason why hip-hop sites have to now cover her because she's official hip-hop artist. So we have to know about her antics. It's like they purposely plant these in, in the blogs, you know what I mean? And, and listen, uh, I'm not, you know, I know Mark Lamont Hill, I don't agree with him on every single fucking topic. So that, I, I, I don't know particularly what, what I disagree with in particular, but I know, like, he, ha, like, even though he'll, like, do, so, like, I, I agree with his politics a lot more than, you know, a lot of fucking people that get, that have been on, like, on a mainstream platform, right? So sometimes I think he, sometimes I think, like, all fucking establishment people, he limits shit. But I, I'm not going to sit here and have to fucking, like, take that, de- like, Vlad and academics. Like, they know that the mainstream media is going out of style, so the other thing that their media is, like, the new one that can't be touched, so they'll go after everyone. It's like they made an alliance. It's like a solo daily letter was done with all these, like, you know, DJ Academics, Vlad, uh, Adam22, where they don't call each other out or anything like that, and they kind of are now like, oh, we're going against any mainstream media. And the, the reason why they can do, in my personal opinion at least, I, I don't know this for a fact, the reason why they feel they can do this is probably because they uh, are aligned with the fucking feds. So like now they have their own fucking, you know, little, uh, 
the little, they have their own little fucking cult that will do dirt for them. You know what I mean? Like, d- academics meeting Trump. Wasn't well, just some random fucking photo that, like, when, when it was done in a public setting like that, it's designed, it gets traction, it's designed for to show you who's, like, basically, well, what side is bankrolling him. Volado Bertay is not really being uh, bankrolled by anyone. But you listen to his internet, I just unsubscribe. He has some good guests, but, like, all they do now is discuss, like, gimmicked fucking, you know, news stories that I don't even believe are really real. And he makes the entire interview about himself. But Mark Lamont Hill will destroy both those, uh, both those guys in a fucking debate. So, like, these, you know, call him Mark LaFla... Like, like, Vlad's not fucking funny. I don't know who told Vlad he's, like, a personality, but just stick to doing interviews. Your insults are fucking weak. Like, you know what I mean? And and the way that he's talking all cocky and getting all fucking, you know, more cocky... Like, he, he has, he's talking with his chest out, basically. And now, you know, he's, you know, talking with his chest out, and then he basically will... I think he'll be exposed for a certain fucking thing that he's probably done. Or, like, what he's involved with. Because normally when, 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 like, you know, if you, if you show off your heel side, and then you go, oh, this guy's talking, he's making some decent points by, by limiting the, the narratives. But then he will, like, you know, then basically you'll find out that he's also a fraud. He goes out and does, uh, you know, uh, public... Ca- oh, I, I'm, uh, my interviews got Keith D. arrested. Shows off about it. And then he pretends like, you know, oh, no, 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 I, I, I was just joking or something like that. By the way, what the cold... Uh, they got Dwight Howard fucking canceled. Again, so again, this is when you uh, know you're becoming a sports entertainer. You're going to get canceled. I'm sure, you know, whatever, even if he gets released from whatever he's doing, he will, you know, like, you know, become a social media character. But apparently him and uh, some, like, I, I don't know if it was a trans woman or trans woman with him or if it was just a cross-dresser. Because people are saying it's a cross-dresser, uh, but, but, but I, I have no idea. Like, that shouldn't be the fucking issue. The issue should be the sexual assault that fucking took place of the person who was claiming it. So, like, you know, the entertainment dollar will, you know, now make that a fucking discourse storyline. So, now, you know what I mean? And then he'll do some reaction stuff to it, but, I mean, just it, it just, it just, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just something so fucking traumatic and horrible. It's like it has to be done with showbiz people so it gets exposed and then nothing really ends up happening to the person who did it. But you better believe that a lot of, you know, anti-LGBTQ people are going to use this to show, say, oh, look, this is what gay people do. The same type of... Like, like people are, are losing their mind. There's one, one blue checkmark account that I saw that has, like, a lot of fucking, you know, a lot, a lot of, like, impressions and fucking retweets off it. But, like, you know, get, but, but like losing their mind because, like, there's a gender-swapping... Uh, gender uh, a soup in fucking Gen V. It's like, if you're going to shit on it because of that, there's good storytelling going on in it. But, 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 but this is how the internet discourse works because there's a lot of funded accounts that can fucking discredit something so you don't watch it. 
So like you know what I mean like and 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 they'll and they'll fucking you know use one clip so that people who don't know anything about it go oh it must be an agenda filled show but it's like it actually exposes like uh you know uh, how like you know like you know how people like are you know you like how it's you how it's used for rankings and how like you know uh like truly transphobic people are because like you know like like the like her her and his uh like you know uh. Like, like superpower basically is not really ranking well with uh with the public basically because the public is kind of fucking you know an overall transphobic. I think it doesn't find it's not forcing an agenda. You know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's forcing an agenda. But I mean, p- people, like, you know, p- people like don't have the balls to like even like. Uh, I know people don't have the balls to like tweet it themselves, so they have to fucking always retweet someone that shares their thoughts. And it makes me wonder if like to make these things viral, they concoct these tweets and agendas that they put out so that they can kind of get fucking traction for, um, you know, uh, a very regressive fucking mindset, even if it's about like a movie or television show. Like, now it's like, you know, people can make it easier now. That's that's the reason why people want the regression from the late 90s and early 2000s back, because everyone could have made it on any level during that fucking era if you're willing to put in the edgelord behavior and incorporate that messaging into your fucking, into your, into your fucking, um, you know, product, into your, into your, you know, overall message in the world. While you have some of the talent that you make some valid points, but the reason why you're getting it's like the attitude area. The, the reason why you're getting pushed is because you're embracing all the edge lord thing that they want you to advertise. But in the meantime, you'll also have talented things going on in great moments, basically. That's how I look at it, at least. By the way, what the clock is, Beanie Siegel's turning heel. I mean, not complete heel to people because people actually think RFK is a fucking good guy because the establishment hates him. But now Beanie Siegel is, like, endorsing RFK, basically. And, you know, it is what it is. I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand using your influence to get people to, like, you know, go in and, uh... It's because someone is, like, pretending to speak the truth about certain things. Again, Tory... They keep... Again, whoever's keeping Tory Lane... Again, there's people that are paying these blogs to keep Tory Lane's name. I have to know about, well... The, there's going to be truth being told about the story eventually. It's like, the thing is, I don't believe the official story, well, any of the stories that are going to be told or have been told are completely the the, 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 the complete genuine story. I think it's a storyline, and, and when I mean storyline, doesn't mean the shooting didn't happen. I mean, it fucking happened. It, it, it means that, that Tory Lanez and Megan Thee Stallion are still fucking cogs in this fucking system. Having to play fucking roles while, like, you know, their mental fucking, you know, health is gonna be fucked over. 
And Tori Lanez is being embraced by some of, like, you know, some of the edgelord types. So, like, if something does, like, prove him fucking right eventually down the line. But I, I don't know if, like, like, like that's going to be the reveal, eventual reveal. That's, like, how they're going to book it. Or if he's just going to be there for comedy fodder. Basically being someone that keeps trying to get out of jail. But they won't let him. Now, Gunplay has been jailed for violating, you know, the terms of, like, you know, the, um... Let me see what it was. But, I mean, despite what it is, it's like, I look at it and I'm like, this is what they make. His wife's restraining order. So they're, you know, again, this is how they're making him, I guess, you know, a main fixture. If you, because if if you if you're not if you're not going to be going for your music, then you got to be known for someone who gets in trouble. You got to have storylines with bloggers and shit, like how Cardi B and Tasha K. You don't know if Tasha K is using like, oh, I feel suicidal. Um, as a ploy, so she, so Cardi B doesn't keep going after her, something like that, but she forgives her, but I don't think she's, she, she might, I don't know if she's gonna ease up on it, you know what I mean? It could be a tactic. It, it feels like the, both the extremes on both fucking sides. Because there's some people that think that reporting on shit shouldn't be a crime, whatever. But if she's like, like saying that these rumors are 100% fucking true. Like, if I'm going to address rumors, I always say that I don't know if it's 100% true, but uh, my theory is that stuff gets planted online for for a purpose. So, like, like, but, like, no matter what, like, there's a bunch of wrestling conspiracy theories, and with the call about saying all of them have been right, whatever, right? But I also believe that some of the wrestling fucking people in the industry are the ones that have also planted those. Uh, online for a purpose. So there is still something to be said of why people in the industry would be planting stories with people who are, like, have different interviews with people that haven't been heard of for a long time, even though they're all in the same fucking mafia, essentially, but they're all popping up with podcasts and all that kind of shit. I don't know who this Kai Sinat is. I think I've talked about him a couple... I don't know if I have, but... It seems like they're the ones that getting promotion where they get to have funny interaction with, like, someone, like, you know, like, right now Kai Cena had a funny interaction with, uh, um, you know, Nicki Minaj, whatever, right? And, you know, and then there's a guy named Funny Marco where, like, G Herbo and Southside were, like, you know, fucking with him on his... Like, I just feel like, the, like this is the way you promote podcasts now from, from existing, that, oh, look, they gave a wild interview. It's, like, very Eric... It's, like, very Eric Andre-like, but they do it for, like, you know... I don't know. There's like again, there's always like a report that Elon, like for example, like like for example, this is why it's pointless to scrub the internet, right? Because but part of me wonders if some of the people that Elon is responding to that seem right wing, I wonder if like some of them, like because again, some of the people that um have like that have been like Elon fans have been people that have like gone out and done shootings. I guess like that's a narrative, right? So part of me wonders if, like, you know, it's going to take it to another level by him actually, like, interacting with someone and uplifting somebody that's going to end up doing something fucking horrible. I don't know, man. 
What's it called? Uh, Chester. Uh, his new marketing right here. Chester Bennington's son posted on the Instagram or something about how he thinks his dad was murdered. I don't know if it's been deleted, but like, yeah, you because know, people put it on the screen. Let me see, Chester. Let me see. I never know whenever, like, they try to uh, do, like, oh, he got murdered by somebody or whatever, right? The, the angle. I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, because, because whenever it's, like, something about show business, it's normally supposed to be in an anti-liberal tinge, even though I don't believe Hollywood is actually fucking liberal. I don't know if the post fucking even, I guess it was, maybe it was faked on Reddit, maybe. But even, see, even that, like, that's purposely put out there, because that's thing I'm seeing right here. The only thing I'm seeing right now is Chester Bennington is John Podesta's son. I don't know if that's fucking true or not, but, you know. So, I, I, again, so, the, so, so maybe the screenshot that I fucking saw, because, again, this would have been all over fucking conspiracy Twitter, basically. You know what I mean? So so some of these things, that, because I, so, sometimes on conspiracy, like, like even they post something, like a screenshot even, I don't, like, go, oh, well, this must be, it must be true. So I, I, I was wondering if, like, if this is, like, actually coming out, uh, if this is coming, let me see, um... I'll be back in one second. Hold on. Okay, yo, I, I found the post. They claimed that it was an Instagram story, but then I click on it with a call. I have to log into, and I don't want to log on my iPad on Instagram, whatever, right? So the guy gives a fucking synopsis of what was in the Instagram story. Now, I, I haven't seen the story, so I don't know if this is true or whatever. Because uh, Jamie Bennington, Chester's firstborn, went on a bit of a rant, basically with a lot of cryptic accusation conspiracy. He says he went from believing his father killed himself to being convinced that he was murdered. Says the Taladina, Ch Chester Widow is a liar, says that she threatened to murder him. Apparently, Brad uh, Delson has secrets and never said anything. Said Mike Shinoda's wife has secrets and knows things. Called Mike and his wife hypocrites. Plenty of what he said was cryptic. Potentially protect himself from lawsuits. And then they, them in his bio, so you know uh, everything is... So he, he's, he, he's, he's, he's making... So this person's making fun of the person that has pronouns in there. So again, so again, this is why the pro. This is why you gotta read how these comments are because some of these people, whenever it's a right, whenever it's a right wing narrative, I downvote fucking. I downvote to hell. I wish I can downvote like eighty million times, but I downvote it, undo it, and downvote it again just so I can. Uh, I, I I just hate whenever like they gotta inject their fucking right wing politics into shit. 
There have been two threads on the LP on the in, in on this in the LPs in Lincoln Park subreddit. Both got deleted rather qu- quickly. It, it always feels like the, the, this. Is what I'm saying. This is how they market it. Like so now, now people know about it, but now, but but now it's been deleted. So now we officially can't talk about it, even though the actions have been fucking posted. And then, and there's a and there is a conspiracy that Chester Bennington is an illegitimate son of John Podesta. And then somebody here says, "Oh, Bennington and Corn- Cornell were definitely involved in the Clinton and Haiti." So it's again, it always ends up with being a fucking you know, it leads to the Democrats who did shit. By the way, what's it called? Uh, Kanye, Kanye. Um, there's more discourse about Kanye. With like you know, he told uh, a Jewish guy at Adidas, like the Jew, uh, the manager at Adidas, to go and kiss a picture of Hitler, and I and what's it called? Like you know, that's just fucking insane. Like you know, someone would fucking do that. But people are like, okay, you believe he did it to a Jewish person. But it's like if some of these people in the in the in the in the, like the thing with Kanye West, he's clearly like you know he he does the shit that he fucking does because he's so fuck like you know what I mean. But the thing is, it represents to me that the reason why he feels comfortable doing it, he's someone that can adjust to like the what people behind the scenes do and say and how they joke around or the kind of shit they fucking say, and they have and then Kanye comes out into like the regular world where like you know people who don't might not know about the shadiness behind the fucking scenes. He, so when you hear that Kanye solely doing it, you're like, wow, this guy is fucking nuts. But it's like a whole lot of those people <coughs> are nuts. Like, if Kanye felt that comfortable saying that to somebody, then, then that person, they probably, like, that per- even if that person was, like, people don't realize that people in, in these, uh, in, in these like, high-level positions, even if they're, like, they're black, Jewish, Muslim, you know, Asian, you know, uh, woman, trans, whatever, people act like, like, because you base off the identity, you act like these people in the a corrupt, fucked up, like, you know, a sociopathic, exploitative fucking system. You act like like they don't fucking like have conversations like this. But the only reason why you're finding out about Kanye is because like he's supposed to be one of the key figures in all this. Even though there's a lot of people around them uh, who probably like like tell them tell them to like they, they they pump it up even more. So like you know when Kanye's ex trainer, like you know what I mean like the, the, this trainer could be fucking shady here and discredit Kanye whatever. But, like, even if Kanye went through some of the abuse, ab- 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 like, like, the whole Jay-Z trying to kill me, like, that shit is, like, not, like, because I don't believe Jay-Z and him are actually feuding. Like, I don't think that's fucking real, whatever, right? But with the cold, I do think that kind of shit goes on where there's people who, who get put in your life who get to fucking drive you even more crazy. That's why there's a lot of some people who want me in some of their institutions a little bit because they want you to go down the regressive fucking path. But now Kanye's new handlers are the ones like where he can kind of talk about old stuff happening to him from the by, by by the industry by the other industry handlers, but now he's being used as like oh look he's exposing what happened to him but he's being controlled by right wing fucking fundamentalist handlers now. So Kanye's you know ex trainer whatever was talking about how he 
would put fucking, you know, uh, frying pans in the suitcase. And then he would fucking draw spaceships on bedsheets. And I'm not even saying that isn't fucking true. I'm just saying that, like... It's like they gotta, like, make the madness look a certain fucking way because they don't wanna want you to know that the system kind of orchestrates how these people operate. And the thing is, like, like when people say that Adidas was funded, like, let me see, let me see, Adidas, let me see. Wasn't Adidas co-founded by Nazis anyways? So wouldn't anyone who, like, I, I don't even buy into, I think the beef with, like, you know, um, hold on, let me see. And people go, oh, how can Adidas put up with it for so long? Maybe because they didn't mind it until, you know, until it became a profitable storyline. Where now they look like fucking uh, heel. You know what I mean? Like, ultimately, like, like, there's, like, I always hear shit about, oh, they're still selling Yeezys at Adidas. Like, they're still selling some of the stuff at Adidas with Kanye. But there's always a story attached at, like, oh, like, it's, uh, the money. Like, they, tell you, they basically kayfabe it to make you, like, not realize that they're fucking still doing business together. The issue is a controversy. I, I haven't seen the new South Park special, but. It's always the same formula. A lot of right-wingers pretend... Like, if South Park was really about offending both fucking sides... Because, like, they might, like, do one obvious thing about the right-wing... But they'll also mislead you with, like, making fun of the left. Right? Because, like, they make it seem like that's actually the left... And it's not fucking, like, people who are... So, like, it makes you still have, like, you know, hatred... For, um, you know, like, uh, any type of diversity. So they present it in a way where the corporate execs look fucking stupid doing it. But, like, it's, it's done for the purpose of, like, maybe giving some people a chance. But, like, it's also designed to make it look like it's forced. But the fact that a lot of right-wingers and, like, Donald Trump Jr. and all these, like, end wokeness, like, accounts online are, are, are amplifying it up. Like, that's how you know that the fucking South Park creators are going more on the right-wing side anyways. And then the people on the left that fucking, you know, uh, like South Park will then fucking, uh, you know, uh, will then basically go, oh, I don't think the right-wing gets it. No, no, they, they, they do get it. They just know that the, the creators are going to go on their fucking side. If, 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 the, if, if South Park truly upset both sides like the right-wing claim, the right-wing would be trying to cancel it. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's South Park, so I might have to check it out, but I don't know, you know. But everything has to be filled with discourse, you know. But I guess Lizzo's main, uh, main storylines now are going to be dismissing the sexual assault claims, basically. That's what her fucking gimmick is going to be, I guess. I don't know. I, again, they're going to keep that story out there too, I guess, for some odd reason. Let me go to some wrestling discourse. Um, yeah, people people are more outraged by Cornette's like, opinion on the PW, P, PW. This is how racist like the wrestling industry is. And, and, no, and no one who really fucking covers it will want to ever examine it in a realistic fucking way. 
The only, the only reason you can kind of fucking, you know, talk about it is someone does something transparent. Because that's the only racism that, you know, wrestling fandom can, you know... But they, like, 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 the fact that they let Cornette exist in the space, and the fact that, like, you know... And again, like, people think that because he doesn't work for any comp- company officially that he's not, like, answering to people. He'll give his, you know, but, but like, you know, him... People are just more outraged by him not thinking... I mean, he'll use his misogyny to fucking shit on little women, so you need to be addressed. You need to be addressed. But people don't fucking, you know, are not alarmed that he downplayed what uh, what Palestinians are going through. And he made it seem like it was just a one-side fucking issue. I, I, I just hate the narratives of, of wrestling now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I could come on here and do it, but I, I gotta be careful... Like, you know, on other shows or on Reddit or, you know what I mean, about, like, going with my true fucking, you know, like, how I f- view the internet fandom, basically. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta, you know... I mean, people get mad even if I put it out here, even. You know what I mean? Because they're not supposed to be listening, but they are. They're always listening to me. But, like, you know, but there's, but there's no point of, like, talking... Again, because all the Discord... It's, it's always about CM Punk or Tony Khan acting a fucking idiot. Like, you see, people complain about Roman Reigns being a part-timer, right? And what they're called, and there's different ways to be a part-timer without, like, you know, you can exaggerate your injuries. Because then, you know, you can always have the media people, like, do, you know, like, the propaganda for the companies. By, like, going, no, no, officially this is what's stated or whatever, but you really don't know what's true and what's not. But it feels like, you know, like there's injuries, but I feel like, you know, there's also, like, exaggeration and people are going more, um, you know, part-time. And it feels like you, if your favorites are part-time people, they have, like, CM Punk was always going to be a part-time fucking guy, in my personal opinion. But they needed fucking, you know, injuries and they needed fucking, you know, systemic injuries, by the way, in my personal opinion. They needed him to, like, you know, have these controversies because while also being a part-timer, you're also making a lot of money for, you know, being, being in the news cycle all the time. You get a lot of the fucking social currency, which is valuable. So CM Punk is basically like a Roman Reigns, but, you know, you, you're, you're supposed to like CM Punk. If someone's like an obvious part-timer, then you're supposed to hate them. I guess like this. I guess the symbolism of like the whole the injuries thing in AEW is now to uh, is now to basically kind of you know uh, is kind of like to bring attention to the unsafe. Like, although that we need to get better safety wise. And the thing is, like, that, again, like, that was always, like, again, I, I was never a guest. I wasn't, like, trying to go, oh, Mox is okay, fuck it, leave him alone, whatever. My, my issue with people is that they're making it seem like no one knows what they're doing, but they know what they're doing. It's like it's symbolism for something bad needing to happen with current cogs in the system in order to make the fucking symbolic fucking change. Instead of just making the fucking change. That's why I hate the symbol, symbolism of shit sometimes. Like, I, I can understand it, but, but I just hate that fucking things have to happen. 
and I, and I want, and I, and I know that with the call something bad is definitely going to fucking happen now that the conversation is coming into fruition. That's how I feel about it. I'm not saying that I'm 100% right. But, like, you know, it, it, it's always the same fucking... It's like, I really do feel the ratings are fucking gimmicked. I, I really do. I, I really feel like it, it's an outdated system, and I feel like if you're a billionaire, you can... Like, it, it's designed for Discord, even if you've got to get a low fucking number, basically. Because I, because, because, because I don't buy the whole $200,000, you know, 200,000 people fucking drop down $200,000. 200,000 people drop down from, like, the first 30 minutes or so or something like that. It just feels very gimmick so people can act like experts over this shit. And some AEW people, AEW fans are fucking unhinged, but the people that pretend to be anti-AEW are also unhinged. They help create the fucking circumstances that are, are, are down there. With the booking. And then they fucking pretend like they're geniuses for criticizing the fucking booking when they're organizing this company to become more of a discourse fucking company. So now the focus goes on more about trying to, uh, you know, create another fucking Vince McMahon from 20 years ago about not knowing how to book and fucking things up. That's how I look at it, at least. But, but like, you know, but CM Punk, the, the discourses around CM Punk, where he's going to go, WWE, NWA, think he can just show up, he can show back up in AEW. And, again, to me, it'll be like it's a pro, it's a work. But, like, you know, he's being pro-union. People are now whitewashing that Hogan didn't really snitch out fucking, you know, that Hogan didn't snitch out. Uh, you know, uh, people now want to... For some reason, there's people that are trying to protect... Uh, trying, to, um, trying to rehab Hulk Hogan now. There's a lot of people that pretend like they're not stands of wrestlers. But then when it becomes, like, a wrestler that they stand, they fucking then, like, you know, get ultra fucking defensive about fucking their wrestler, fair wrestler. So now we're going to uplift Hulk Hogan again. But, I mean, shutting out a billionaire, you know, who's, like, you know, who's anti-union is, you know, you know, and you also shut out Dana White. But he's giving wrestlers shit. If you're such a fucking leader, why didn't you lead something then? When you're at the top of your fucking game, why didn't you fucking do that? You're partaking in a stupid work shoot. At this point, I don't even care if he comes back to WWE or whatever. If he, if he goes to Impact, I, if he goes to I, Impact, I, you know, I don't think, you know, I, it's like that his annoying fan base will come there. I, 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 you know, it's the one fucking promotion where, like, I don't, like, you know what I mean, where it, the fandom isn't fucking just vitriolic, so, you know. But again, he has to fucking ruin everything, I guess. 
R- RVD made a fucking heel turn. Thing is, if you just if you just talk about like oh he's just generalizing all fans, then then what the call I think that's stupid because again people are p- people were making fun of him for being in the ring and he getting goes I guess like uh, guys who like you know get off on watching uh, guys in tights. Like I'm I'm not like you basically saying I'm 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 not a young guy anymore. For them to be interested, and, he, and then he kind of outs Dave as being one. Here's the thing: I think there's paid people who are personalities, and like paid accounts, like both straight and gay, whatever, who basically put pressure on like people to like wear certain things or like sexualize themselves. There's not the whole fandom, basically, but there are people that like pay for customs of stuff to like go down. In my personal opinion. If you can show, you know what I mean. I feel like it's, that's being done, like like some of the horny on main Twitter people, they won't co-sign any woman who doesn't uh, like like you know it's like they they won't co-sign if they if she's not sexualizing herself, and I'm not saying that like it's wrong for them to sexualize themselves. They want to do that. That's like their choice, but I can also see that there's an agenda, like meaning that I'm not supposed to question. Like, the pressure element of it, because the pressure normally is, like, advertised when it's, like, they want you to not get sexual, and, you know, and that's also bad, too. Like, any type of pressure to, like, uh, you know, like, make someone, like, not, like, someone who, like, to, like, downplay their sexuality, like, you forcing them to do that, that's fucking horrible, it's wrong, you shouldn't do that. But I also think that you shouldn't fucking do that. But, so, but, but do that for, like, other you should do that for, you know, uh, to, like, pressure women to, to have to do that. Otherwise, they won't get co-signed. Um, but, like, I, but, but, but me personally, I don't mind seeing if they, if they, if they're, like, if they want to fucking do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's their fucking choice. But, like, the fact that he, like, named off Dave, then they, you know, because people have hinted that, you know, Meltzer, you know, you know, gets down that fucking way. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying it's true, but, you know, that's been, like, you know, a, a, a joke that people have, like, you know, trying to incorporate. Whenever, like, they, they mention his wife or something, they go, oh, yeah, wife. Like, you'll see comments like that on fucking Reddit. And then, you know, I see that for the last fucking decade. And, and me personally, I don't fucking give a shit, but, like, if there's, like, there's definitely people that will shit on certain people for not looking a certain fucking way. Because some of these people do, some of these people who are like you know industry creeps, do want to get off on you know watching some of these people. Like I mean, they're, like they're literally doing gay panic on fucking television right now. So like you know, and I'm sure that's being booked by some of the quote unquote anti AEW shows because they're so homophobic. I don't know. Oh, I th- I think I jotted this down during the recaps of you know stuff. I don't know. And Ronda Ronda Rousey's been at Wrestling Revolver, like you know, and she's gonna be a part of some shows. I can't keep with all these fucking promotions, man. I I really can't keep like you know, House of Glory. You know, what I mean, like you know, uh, Destiny. I I can't keep with all of them. But apparently, this is like a, a, a LA show that you know she was she, she was at. Or no, I don't know if it's the LA show, but she's gonna be at the LA show, so people think that she's gonna be at full gear. That's the only way Tony Khan will fucking, you know, uh, use the woman properly if uh if they get people like, you know, if you know what I mean, like that's the only way that they'll pretend to give a shit about the industry. And then when they leave, then they'll get fucking mad about it and shit. 
And Heath, Heath Slater, you know, is leaving Impact. And I, as I mentioned, he, he did a decent job, whatever, but, like, I can't say that he really got invested in every single feud he did. You know? But, like, to me, I think he... I think he perfectly fits a WWE style. I think it would be better for him to go to WWE, actually. Because, you know what I mean? Because he, he, he's, like, you know, a lot more jacked up now. He has history with Drew McIntyre. He can, like, you know, like, get serious with him. I don't know. I'm going to do the recaps now, so, um... And I, I rushed, I rushed with some of the fucking discourse, but you know, I had to go through some. I got to the dis, you know, it's, it's almost, um, it's almost time for fucking collision to watch MJF. So this shows where I, I felt like I was being overloaded with storyline narratives and not liking direction and stuff. When it actually made me stop watching, and I recap later on. I meant to recap it sooner, but you know, going out of your house does take up like some time, you know. I, I, who knew it? Um, hold on a second. Um, like I've, I've been trained to be someone who doesn't go out, so I have a bunch of time. I have a bunch of time to consume, like a bunch of podcasts and fucking videos and all that kind of thing to consume my time. But like you know what I mean. But when you go out and then you're like, holy shit, you gotta catch up with all these podcasts and all that kind of shit. And do your own podcast. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not really feeling the product. I feel like it's purposely being booked this way until. Maybe CM Punk comes back. I'm not liking a lot of this direction. I think the discourse has become shit. And it's taken from the product. And it used to add to the product like maybe 15, 20 years ago or so. But overall, I think we're in an era where the internet has become the establishment, in my personal opinion. So now not only are we consuming a billionaire's product, but now we're consuming the billionaire-sponsored, billionaire, billionaire sponsored, funded discourse of someone who knows how to book but the booking effort has been designed to keep CM Punk in the news nonstop and how Tony Khan's inept because he wants to transform into Vince and people amplifying and are people who are mentally twerking for a billionaire. And trust me, it doesn't feel good because if they were happy with shilling for a billionaire, they would just enjoy the spoils, but they can't feel good without making people lower than them feel like shit. We already did our, you know, we already did 20 year discourse about one billionaire being inept, and now we have prominent figures who claim their, you know, who claim their, like, you know, media who are more concerned with doing, uh, you know, feuds with other media outlets. They're working their own angles, help amplify this, and we're supposed to take them fucking seriously. And if you don't, the collective group think will use trolls to mentally torment you or, you know, co-sign people in your life to add to your already fucking, you know, to make your mental illness worse. So they opened up with a promo where MJF called Cole and then Roddy came and offered help, which which let Cole go. Roddy Im implied that they sh that they know he's behind the devil's mask, and the fact that we have to pretend isn't um pretend um pretend he isn't is laughable. And then he wants to offer his help, and MJF basically just shoves the wheelchair back, and Kingdom looks shocked. He then addresses Juice and saying he'll send a message in blood. Goes over taking his triple, um, them taking the triple B and how they messed up. Goes over Juice getting his name on something that made him feel less than small. Tonight he has a message for him. He has a bullet with his, the way he said he's going to have a bullet with your name on it. And he's not going to miss. 
So this, this so is this a thing of, of a white guy threatening to shoot somebody or with, with a black guy to to kind of like, can I get can people get offended by that? Because I'm not sure what can be offended by now. And then he goes live from Philly like it was an SNL, but he was more mad. He was more mad, obviously. And during the match, he almost curb stomped him, uh, curb stomped Juice like American History X style. But he didn't end up doing it. But me personally, I never associated a curb stomp with the white supremacy. But for some reason, after like the American History X that movie, people always have associated with it because people would think there was some racial implications when Seth would wrestle black wrestlers on MLK Day, which again by design, and then do a curb stomp. So even if there was no racial connotation to it, they definitely want you to think that because they off, people often talk about how that is kind of, it's a debate kind of at least. But either way, you have two people from marginalized groups basically wanting to do hate crimes against each other. So the match is first. By the way, the Devil's Match showed up and interrupted the promo toward the end and then they cuts out after a brief, brief appearance. MJF goes for Juice immediately and spends the first few minutes throwing him around outside all over the ringside area. He spit water into his face. He did that shit where he charges and fakes out, but he actually went for a running knee, which was a nice surprise, and it makes sense for the character to be this pissed off. This continued around the ringside area. This is where like, this curve stop almost happened. I think Juice may have been busted open. He didn't get the advantage back, though, when uh, the guns distracted. Juice did a DT on the apron. He choked MJF with a scarf behind the rest back. Switchblade came out before the picture and picture to come back. Juice still has control. MJF starts choking Juice with a scarf. And Switchblade is losing it on commentary. And the ref catches them and they just throw it out. Uh, MJF does a, does a typical babyface offense. Multiple body slam. Ten punches. The head, sl- the head slam. They get the turnbuckle. Does a throw into him into the corner. That overhead throw. Like, not an overhead throw. Like, you know, that kind of like judo throw kind of in a way. I don't think he needed a setup for the kangaroo kick when people were into it. But I don't think this match really was needed, that it was needed for that. But guns trip him, which lets Juice get a leg lariat. They, you know, go back and forth with strikes. The trouble back and forth didn't need to happen in this match as well. It wasn't theatrical as others, but MJF landed on his feet a couple of times with uh, and, uh, flips. And then he pokes Juice in the eye. He spit in the face. Juice spit in the face. And then did the left hand of God that barely and then uh, barely and then barely power bombed MDF. I thought MJF was actually going to get out of it because it looked so odd. Basically, MJF does a diving stomp to the arm. He goes for the heat seeker, but Juice counters. MJF dives out onto the guns. Switchblade freak out about um shit uh, freak, freak out about shit added to the um you know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I can't speak English apparently. Uh, Juice got the DT. He does for a near fall. Uh, guns distracted again, and Juice had the ring he has, the ring that he has from TJ Maxx to hit MJF with, but MJF had his and hit Juice and then clocked the guns and then does the heat seeker for the win. It was a good match, it had a good intensity to it, they did the tropes that I don't think this match needed, but it was one of MJF's more intense matches because of the anger he had going in, which would play a part in this. I really did think they could have... They could have cost MJF the match and let Juice be the new guy who uses the ring because his character deserves it. And it would be fitting, but they opted to let MJF keep the ring for another year. I guess they'll have him lose the ring once he has the title off, um, t- title off him. Because they probably figure he won't want um, him getting pinned into a pay-per-view, which is why you could have waited later on to do the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal so then you could do Juice with the MJF at maybe Winter's Coming or some shit. It was still the MJF match you expect, but the, but his character had justification. 
uh, for going as aggressively as he did. They did a decent job with the opening promo, at least, and the match like kind of lived up to what they wanted to aim for with the blood, I guess, as blood's being drawn. You didn't get mad at MJF for cheating because he would be counter. He, he was doing the counter Juice's cheating. But I still think Juice could have won this match because you need to give someone else the diamond ring eventually. But again, maybe if MJF loses the title, then next year and, and, and next year happens, if he's still with the company, maybe you have someone take it off MJF then, basically, because they have built so much credibility with the ring and it being part of MJF's, like, you know, repertoire and character that if someone does take it from him, it, that itself should be a big fucking deal. People thought Stark should have been beating him for the ring and then that would that would make you think that he had a chance to win the title, but last year they did a two-for-one. I, I hate how much I'm how, how how much I'm getting used to seeing MJ wrestle now because it feels less special when he wrestles, and I wish they managed to keep him fresh without having to wrestle often. At least he doesn't defend the title super often, you know. I mean, I want that too soon here. And I want to get this out of the way because there was an angle that played out afterwards. The Bullet Club attacked MJF after the match. Roddy and Kingdom came down, but Taven and Benny T off with the guns, but the guns will get rid of them rather quickly. So they proved to be worthless in the storyline, basically. I figured they were, they were just not helped, basically, but they claim make the save. I thought this would be done here, but, uh, but th- th- there were promos after this, like in, in this segment. Swissbane is upset about this. They tell MJF to focus on his exotic accent, his voice. Forget everything happening in the ring. Forget Omega, Joe, Wardlow, the Devil Mask, the Gimp Squad. And focus on the man who has the, the bang. The bang bang belt. He'll never uh, get his hands on the title. He'll pummel his face into the ground. And he'll breathe with the switchblade. Colton sarcastically congratulates him on getting the ring. But he doesn't have the title. Him and Austin want the ROH titles. And that's also for full gear apparently. Austin says whether whether it doesn't whether it doesn't matter says whether it doesn't matter if MJF is the devil or or or, um, or not. But M, no, no, say whether it doesn't, does it, whether it's MJF or the devil, it doesn't matter. Just show up, basically. Sorry, they have two guns for each of them, basically. MJF tells them to shut, shut the hell up and calls them ass boys. He'll set the challenge for the ROH title. He'll see Switchblade at full gear, and he's not waiting that long to get his hand on um get his get his hand on the dollar store Jack Sparrow looking ass. He wants four and four, and Carb Blade is the only real man of the group. And when he wins and gets a triple B, and no one is on the level of the devil, and then Roddy screams Max, and Max tells him to like, he's literally right here. Stop screaming his name. Roddy thinks they'll be um, they'll be picked, and uh, MJF calls him mid mid Matt mid Mike, and Roddy the Sim Strong. He tells them to roll off a cliff. And calls him a bland bitch. And Castro thinks that they're going to be picked. MJF tells him he's known him for a long time. He's never liked him. And if he thinks he will tag with them, you've got another thing coming. And even if um, he's on fire, um, the only and the only way to get out of it would be to tag with Castro. He wouldn't. And then he kind of showed off, showed his heel side by not caring when the, what the crowd thinks. Castro pulled a Lloyd Christmas and says, So you're telling me there's a chance. And Bowen says, Damn it, Ma- MJF. And damn it, Max. And he does a catchphrase. So this is like really felt gimmick, whatever. Castro says, uh, says to, uh, to do him one favor with him and uh, wants a scissor, and MJF eventually just closes it. This is better in front of a live crowd, even if I don't like how they play this out, but this is, then MJF was walking up the ramp, and Omega shows up. It says MJF has a lot of a lot, lot going on, and he'll get to the brass tacks. MJF has something he wants, and vice versa. Walking out with a live mic, he lost the um, right to, um, to ask for... 
for what is not around his waist. And if M. Jeff is uh, kind of the scumbag that he thinks he is, he'll laugh in his um, laugh in his face and tell him he sucks. Tell him to go suck some um, some lemon or something like that, and tells him um, fly a kite or tell him to fly a kite, dude. M. J- Omega's like you know like 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 if you're gonna do insults about what M. Jeff would tell you. Like, you know, at least, like, do, like, you know, something that that he would do. Like, he's, he's doing like, the most, like, Danny Tanner-level insults that, like, he thinks would be told to him. I don't know. It just it bothered me. And then, um, you know, um, but but if if uh, if he's their scumbag and the, ch- and, and the champ, they, and, and, and the champ, they, and they want, that they want him to be, and the, ch- and the champ MJF wants to be himself... He wants the title and reserves the right to defend his streak. He's truly better than the G golly G- gosh. Don't be afraid to use it. No, no. So, sorry, he goes if he's if he's truly better than G. Uh, then no, he goes if he's true. If, if is truly better than G golly gosh, don't be afraid to like you know like you know like accept the challenge basically. See, again, even me, like, I, I was so, like, fucking, you know, pissed off by the segment that I wasn't even recapping it properly. But I, I felt like I had to fucking, like, put down the exact things that Omega was fucking saying. You know what I mean? It just, it just came off so cartoonish. But I guess that's Omega's fucking character, I guess. You know, again, I, you know, uh, MJ proposes the cleaner versus the devil at Collision. I was with this promo, but giving this away already is so fucking reactionary and stupid. They shake hands, and I'm not liking that they're giving this shit away, and people will defend it, but I think it's one of the stupidest things to do. Unless Omega is a part of the storyline, or unless Omega gets attacked. Omega did say three days, bitch, and I hope this goes the time limit so it can be revisited, or maybe the Bullet Club ruin it, and a lot of the t- a lot of time, AW doesn't have non-finishes for title matches. But this would be the time to exercise it, because the title isn't even with MJF, and I don't like that they are going to go with this match to pop a rating when you could legit pop a huge buy rate for this fucking match. And I don't like the idea of MJF having to wrestle twice on a pay-per-view to defend the ROA titles too already. They're really trying to book even their pay-per-views like an episode of Raw or some shit. Like, I'm still looking forward to Switchblade with MJF, but Omega's character has not been hot off the presses, and it feels like a reactionary way to force them into the conversation. Maybe they should have just built to Omega versus MJF then. I really don't like the idea of the match just being given away. I know I'll be the only one who will see that because everyone will pop for a big match because we need the ratings discourse. What are you know? What what are they gonna do when it doesn't draw? You you thought you the see, everyone thought they thought, thought they learned the lessons from uh, you know from Punk and Mox. At least Brian and Omega they didn't go back to as a singles match just yet. They feuded, but you know, and the feud was not that great compared to what it could have been. But the contract, like the the contract discourse, took over. But now we're just giving, you know. Uh... So what contract was something? Uh... Oh no, yeah, no, the contract discourse of Omega and them. Um, that's why the the feud wasn't really as good as it could have been because we weren't sure if they're a close, they're gonna sign up, sign with a company. You know what I mean? And and now we're just giving this fucking match away. I wanted to assume I wrote this and then Omega get attacked and the match doesn't happen on Collision. And we got to revisit another time. But this left me pissed. And there was no attack on the show. We'd, we didn't get to Joe and MJF later. But since Warlow addressed MJF, I will go to that segment first. But this decision is very stupid. And it makes me think if MJF's contract shit is going on, going to come to an end, coming to play... 
and they kind of dumbed it down the last bit because it would be too much for every promo. While I think they could have that lingering, and part of me wonders if they revealed that the mystery will play out at the December pay-per-view World's End because it's December 30th, the, like, you know, the day before MJF's contract ends. And maybe he either gets sent out by the company or does a big angle play out and he stays with the company. It feels like he'll stay, but the discourse is about, you know, the discourse is about the swerve, basically. But I could see MJF playing Tony Khan in real life, kayfabe, and maybe this is why they're going to these matches, but I just hate this lack of build for the match. Sure, the reign's length is on the line, but we know he's facing Switchblade, and it kind of gives it away that he'll win. Why would you do that? If there's a fuck finish, maybe they'll add Omega to the match and then the angle plays out. I just think it's a stupid fucking move. The company is more concerned about booking the billionaire nap so people online can pretend they hate him. You know, and pretend they know more about the booking. Like the match will be dope, but I would honestly love it if this, if this was a fake out and it doesn't actually fucking happen. I'll ensure that MJF. I'll ensure that MJF beats the rain, and if Omega is attacked, then he'll think MJF did it. Maybe I, you know, I thought they would just just have the acclaim be the partners, but Joe's probably going to be one of them, I guess. So we saw a vignette for Wardlow sitting at home for four months. Not good for him. He was going through injuries. And, uh, he wasn't going through injuries or vacation. He was in a dark place and watching MGF, who has done so much evil and has bad mouth his company and shit on the fans. Has and he has to watch him become the name and the face of the company while everyone's supporting him. And had to watch the man who um, who he beat main event the biggest show in the history of the business as the world champion. Now that now that now that changes a man. And he has a he he has felt. The devil's claw dig deeper in his back, and MJF can't take anything from him anymore, and he'll take everything from MJF. This was good, but I mean, let's, let's just give it away on Rampage before the, the Omega match, then, since we're giving all these title matches away. I'm sure Wardlow's going to be part of the bigger picture of what's being planned. The defense online now is that people are mad. At, uh, people are mad at the matches. Like people are getting mad at the people who are getting mad at matches being given away for free. And with that same with that same breath, they're the ones pretending they hate the product, so their solution is to give away big big time matches every single fucking week. This is why the Attitude Era rotted brain has really the biggest detriment to the business, and has produced some of the worst booking. And this is um, being done on purpose. I could be wrong, and this match might you know have something to, you know someone some, something you know, to interrupt it. But I just think it's stupid. You could have certain Omega into this. You could have just certain Omega in this match if you felt that the Switchblade flu was not working. But the thing is, even that argument has been forced into the discourse because the Switchblade element is one of the first time in a while I have enjoyed the pro wrestling element in an MJF feud. And the Switchblade and Switchblade shit ta- uh, shit talking has been dope, and I can see why people complained online because they knew that they're probably going to add Omega to the match most likely. I want to believe that Tony Khan would, you know, uh, I, 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 I want to believe that Tony Khan wouldn't fuck up his image that much to that degree to fully give this match out of the way. I don't know. So we get Renee with MJF later on. He goes over the match after collision, and then uh, in comes Joe. He claps it classically and says he came with the best intention and has noticed something. MJF suffers from severe lack of friendship. And he should have people watching his back, people looking out for his best interest. And he offers his service, and MJF says, sounds good to me. And Joe wants a title match. And he doesn't have the answer right now, but with the way things are going, he's he's sure that he'll have an answer sooner or later. So this is decent, but I'm still confused with all these fucking programs going on. 
It feels all scattered, and I have said this before. They're purposely doing chaotic shit, and it'll only be a hit for the people who fucking get told to engage with the shit, whether it's forced complaints or forced defense of it. RVD and Hook versus Silver and Reynolds, I really didn't care about this match. RVD kind of worn out. The, the, the great surprise, even if the theme kicks ass. And Hook always with random people, anything concise about his booking and his direction. The heels got the advantage after a while. They blindsided RVD. RVD got, eventually gets a monkey flip. Hook gets a fireman carry. They get rid of them, and RVD clocks Uno on the apron. They come back, and Silver was in control, but Hook has uh, got the hot tag to RVD. He does a leaping uh, drop, uh, leg drop. He spring kicks Reynolds, does the same roundhouse kicks, and then the rolling thunder to Silver. RVD D nails Reynolds with the northern lights. Silver breaks it up, but RVD, uh, RVD still controls uh uh, this shit, and then tags Hook in, and does a cross phase, and then Reynolds interrupts behind the ref's back, Uno cover, uh, swings a chair, but RVD did his usual spiel, he does, RVD did the frog splash on Reynolds, Hook, apl- uh, uh, and Hook applied the red run for the win. I don't get the point of these matches, unless, like, it's leading to a match with RVD and Hook, but I just don't understand the booking, but maybe because he's in Philly, I guess, the big takeaway that Hook almost smiled, I guess, from the, in the match, I know they can do this once in a while, but and I'm not saying prioritize RVD for a best creator when others could use it. But he's such a legend. I would I would have I would I would I would have be there to uh, I I would at least have him have at least one big match where he puts a couple of current guys over, which is why it would be cool if him if maybe Hook and RVD maybe feud maybe I guess I don't know to kind of get Hook in with them some legends I guess. If RVD turns heel, that would be dope. Like, thing is, people will still cheer him, but RVD, RVD to me has always been the best when he's been a heel. I know he's been over so many people. I, I, he's been so, he's been over so 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 much that people opt to make him a good guy. But his ECW character, where he was a heel and played to the crowd liking him because he was so cool and talented, it really added to it. They did it for a bit in WWE when he was a part of the Alliance. But I don't think it ever went to that level again afterwards. He did have a good heel run in Impact the last time he was there, but nothing really too legendary. But RVD would be a good heel. Maybe you could use him, you know, for for like a heel role, maybe. And with the internet discourse lately, like I just pointed out, about how wrestling fans don't like him because they want to see younger males in their underwear, I guess, according to RVD. And like I said, I think there are creeps who are, in the, who are system-employed who are straight and gay in the system that do have creepy tendency. And some of them I feel pressure talent to, you know, dress or sexualize themselves. A lot of horny on mainstream and Twitter def- are definitely paid to pressure women, like I said before, to get more sexy. If they don't, they'll not support them anymore, in my personal opinion at least. But RVD generalizing all wrestling fans for being gay because we think the spot can be used for other people, you know, that could use it time. It's like the most RVD thing ever, you know. All, all, all that was all that was missing was Sabu quote quote replying the the, the RVD tweet by using the gay slur. Like that's, that's, that's all the internet was missing to like make this thing go full 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 force. I or, or maybe RVD is mad that he's not considered Miss New Booty anymore. I don't know. Like you know, I don't know what to fucking tell you about it. Tony Schiavone brings out Sting for a promo. I was not looking forward to this. It was clear that these industries will let, let us know about sexual assault and harassment. 
and the worst kind of shit and profit off the discourse for entertainment dollar from the documentaries, podcasts, blogs, and then when shaming people, and then and then when shame, and then when shaming people for the purity shit, like you know, oh, we're not, we're, we're not gonna, uh, we're like, like you're not pure enough for our test, basically. Like they have a period, they 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 you know people for the purity shit of what they co-sign and what they believe. People who think they're more superior seem to give a shit. If someone who the sex press is back, me, I'm not surprised because I know the industry runs and the cancellations have just been marketing tools for people to align with the fundamentalists who have to save them from being canceled. Like Tony Khan making jokes about, you know, about Vince McMahon, the shit that Vince McMahon has done, which is fine because it's true. But when you bring out, like, a sex pest as a gift for Sting, you know, when I post a fucking thing, the only redeeming thing about it was a Christian's promo. But even Sting doesn't even seem to be into the angle with how it's being done. It's like he's being the corny dad that makes his jokes with a shtick. But this is designed to get shit on because Tony Khan wanted to use it, used Ric Flair for the longest time. And now bringing him back, this coincides with Tony Khan's new heel persona. But the supposed anti-AEW shows are shitting on this booking, but they're like the ones probably helping with the discourse, which makes me, which makes that fucking worse. I don't give a shit about Ric Flair. This instantly doesn't make me care about this angle anymore. They already showed the idea I had about about doing it with MGF as a heel, and fine, don't do it. But it would have been a legendary performance with MGF and Sting. That would show you how good MGF would be, where he could be safe with Sting in the mat in the match. So I don't care about people's morality when they're the ones who help get these people canceled. So it helps market them more into a more uh, into the more fundamentalist side. I don't know. Sting thanks Philly for the history in this town. It was a great run. A lot of the, a lot of the run was in here. He thinks Darby and puts him over as the best tag partner that he had, and he couldn't have done it with, with well, couldn't done it without him. Sting then gets into a battle with the crowd about how dare he choose Darby to be his best partner. He wasn't letting any reaction fl- uh, slip, basically. But he says Darby is a man he wants to thank Tony Khan for making the phone call four years ago and giving him a chance to grapple and wrestle a little longer. And, uh, you know, and... Um, I don't want to put a little longer. And, uh, how, and how, how he has, I guess, Tony Schiavone won the mic and Sting puts him on blast for it. Tony puts him over in his career, and they're proud to be a part of his career, and then goes over the last 35 years on TBS, putting wrestling on the map, and elevated him to the icon he is now. They're going to give him a gift. This is why I hate this even more, because we knew what the results would happen from this. Right, The crowd was happy to see him, but when I read ahead of the, del- when I read ahead of the delay, I didn't want to watch because this was just a, just a discourse move for people to fucking complain. So Flair comes out to his theme. He hugs Sting. I didn't care about anything until Christian came out, basically. Flair says he puts over, puts, puts over moments in life that are magical. There are few and far between. That's like the magic and the chemistry and whatever you do in life that makes you the best. They go over their history on TBS at the Class of the Champions, competing with Mania. He put over his wrestling career and finishes as the nicest guy he's ever known. He wanted to be part of this until March. He wants to ride the way with them. He does the woo shtick. He chops Sting a little bit too, and then Christian comes out. And, and, and I guess this was worth it for this, I guess. He says Tony Khan's a billionaire, and this is the gift he gave Sting for his retirement. He basically gave Sting a suit, some gold, and gold chains, and a black liver. 
He has to say it's impressive how Rick is moving out here. It isn't like he's watching Weekend at Bernie's at all. He mimics the movements. He says you can't even see the puppet strings. And he knows Flair is not dead. He knows there isn't a, uh, there isn't a god because if there was a god, then, he then Rick Flair should have been dead 20 years ago. The real reason why he's out here is because last week, Sting put Steiny. Sting and Darby decided to stick their noses in his business again and ask about Darby's arm because he was staying there in a sling, basically. And he brings up Sour Grace of being Darby in his hometown. He'll give him one more chance, and he makes it seem like the teeny title, ch- title chance. He takes a shot at the Phillies. Uh, situation is not going to go away until he makes it go away. He proposes something. He goes over Sting's uh, uh, ideal retirement. He was not. Uh, was, he he has a picture painted for himself. He doesn't want to wait until revolution for him to be gone. He wants it done right now. He talks about a six man tag. He said that he can take Rick as a partner. He's uh, one super K from uh, one super kick away from his pacemaker kicking out and turning him into dust. Retirement is coming early, and it won't be at revolution. It'll be at full gear, and it'll be Sting's funeral. And Sting pretends to sneeze and says he's allergic to jackasses. This is a very John Cena 2011 joke that would have been uh, shit on by the internet before the C- like the CM Punk pipe bomb started. Like This would have been like the one promo that people would make it seem like it was the worst shit ever that went over the top. That would lead you into like the next week, CM Punk cuts a pipe pipe promo and he references like this fucking promo, basically. So I don't know why he pretended to put the title on the line, but I'm not really excited for a six-man tag. Edge was approached backstage later when when Renee was um, got attention, but the segment was after the swerve segment, so it was like, "Hey, I, I want to ask you a question about what just happened out there." Oh no, not the guy breaking in and stalking a child in the house, but about Christian K- what Christian Cage said. Maybe they should have aired this afterwards, but I mean, at least at least my recap makes it seem that way, with more stuttering. Uh, if you don't mind the stuttering and whatnot, but you know, but now the build is. Uh, about if Edge will take the spot because he said he didn't want to fight Christian. If Flair's sticking around, people think that he'll get Andrade to join and then turn on Sting. That could be Sting's last match, but I don't know. Well, what? That, that'd be a lot better than doing Sting versus MJF title versus Career on the line. We see Edge with Renee and says nothing has changed. His friendship with Christian is bigger than everything in this business. And then Darby and Sting show up and then tell him not to be stupid. These two being the most naive babyface on the on the planet. That's say, that, that's saying something. Darby tells them that Edge's fairy tale ending is not the world they live in. And he said that they didn't want to, he didn't want to do what he did to Nick last week. It's kill or be killed. Sting said they can't he can't believe they're having this conversation. He had his blinded on riding with Ric Flair. And it's and and then it's like maybe he knows. So then maybe Edge knows better than you. Then I guess, like you know what I mean. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what, what the argument. He told Edge to look. He took the blinders off, and Edge needs to Edge needs to turn take the blinders off already. And he goes over the legend who uh, was by his side tonight was probably the dirtiest player in the game, and he learned to see through guys like him. But this guy like literally did this to you thirty fucking times. I guess I don't know. He can see through guys like Christian, and Edge needs to open his eyes up really quickly. And he screams to tell, uh, he screams to tell him to listen to him before it's too late. And he tells Edge to go back and not mess this up. I'm sure they're friends, whatever, but I didn't think they've ever had this like you know kind of. They've never been mentioned of it, so I don't know if they ever had any like you know like real friendship, unless like like when Edge was in WCW for a bit for a couple of dates, I guess. Maybe him and Sting became friends there, I guess. I don't know. I wonder if Edge will give in this fast or they carry this over for months. I can see Edge joining in and him and Christian not, like, having any contact. 
So we get a Jericho promo where he goes over never feeling that kind of pain the last 30 years. So him getting thrown off the cage up to his death wasn't painful as a seven spine buster, but he was putting over the beat down. His ribs are still hurting. What hurts the most is his ego. Renee calls him one of the greatest. So many different versions of Jericho. But to see what happened in Jericho is hitting the point of a career of what is left. Jericho says self-reflecting is constant. One thing he's always had was confidence knowing that he could beat anyone. He didn't see that. He didn't see last week coming. He thought he had Hobbs. He couldn't get out of the hole. There comes a time when you question if he still has it and what and has what it takes to beat uh, beat Will Hobbs at the time to just or just trying to get revenge basically, and he brings up Don's family and says he has a lot of guys, a lot of friends. He has a lot of big friends too, and some of them are even bigger than Will Hobbs. And maybe it's time for him to give them a call. So people think that's gonna be Big Show will show up, and I'm not gonna shit on this because if Hobbs can destroy Big Show, that would be good visual. But if this is used to fuck up Hobbs again, Hobbs push again, then you can fuck this man. I don't give a shit. And they'll do it eventually because we need discourse about how Big Show and RVD can get time, but we don't have time for Athena on the show. I didn't do I didn't do this word for word, whatever, right? Or I put here word for word. Um, I did I did like them showing clips of the interview was uh, uh, as the interview was going on. It felt like a little old school with the serious shit, serious sit down. I'm glad Jericho didn't mention the origin origin story of Hobbs feeling neglected as a fan. This is about this is about revenge and who knows what will happen. But I'm still not admitting, I'm not, I'm not gonna admit the storyline is good because once I do, it'll fall apart. And with the tease of Big Show, this is a good reason why I didn't praise it. But if I had if I, if I did praise it like a couple of weeks ago and this Big Show thing had did happen, that that would be like it would be in a better position for the for my sitcom life essentially. Like, oh, what was the worst that can happen? Now I'm gonna admit that you know, like if I admitted that the storyline is fucking being a hit. Like, what would be the worst thing that could happen, basically, if I if I admit it, basically? Oh, look, Big Show shows up on my screen. That's, like, what I'm trying to fucking say. Hangman the Buck with Alexander Hardy. I didn't care for the match. Even if it was decent, it was more about the angle afterwards. It took me out of it because, again, how do you explain him being able to talk to Hangman's baby without anyone being there? I would understand this family if the family was out and he did it on his own where, uh, like, you, like, when they're gone, he's pretending to have, like, you know... But, but, I don't know, but, but like, but like you know, like if, if the family was out, he's just kind of doing it in his own home, basically. But pretending to have, like, the kid felt like it was more of a movie. And I don't think it fits that way, even though I, I like the promo. It was still decent because Swerve is good at fucking doing promos. But they need to explain, like, you know, uh, explain this a bit, you know what I mean? The Bucks felt empty, you know, even if they were kind of into the in, the, in this match. I don't care about the... ROA title reign. This could have been used to put over the gates of agony to heat the heat up an entire stable. Basically, instead of losing the titles to uh, Hangman and fucking you know, uh, uh, and and the Bucks basically. And the Hardys and the Hardys Isaiah feel like they're empty. I think that Isaiah has some kind of life to him by getting the crowd hyped up and some of the he has some of the great spots in the match. But I didn't care for this match too too much. Isaiah had a good showing with the Tornillo. Matt didn't got a double Northern Lights just once because he couldn't get Matt up for the for the local motion shit. Hammond did dead don't Death Valley driver on Isaiah. Isaiah countered the dead eye to be to be you know um, by silly stringing onto Jeff into a turn DT. Isaiah had a good sequence where he exchanged kick with the Bucks. Jeff Hardy did the twist of fate to Matt Jackson. Isaiah launches off of Matt Jackson onto the people outside. Matt uh, Matt Hardy gets the twist of fate and Jeff does a swanton and Nick breaks it up. Matt and uh, Jeff. Uh, 
no, sorry, uh, Matt Hardy escapes the Meltzer driver, and one of the Bucks gets a uh, hit with the Kamagari, and Isaiah leaps into the ring, and Hangman connects with a Buckshot Lariat. Nick super kicks Jeff uh, off the apron, and they give Isaiah the BTE trigger for the win. And then you see Swerve and Nana filming themselves going to Hangman's house, and Swerve says, whose house? Which is funny, and Hangman is speeding into the back, Swerve says his family owes him something for taking his opportunities away. And, Anna, and, and uh, Prince Nana is going buck over chocolate-covered berries. I thought that was hilarious. Swerve sees a painting, which is supposed to be the kid's painting. He rips it up. Says they got no taste They got no taste in here. He looks at, um, at some kid's book, and Swerve hears a noise and goes to the kid's bedroom where, Swerve, uh, where there's a crib. Nana does, like, doesn't, like the idea, doesn't, like the, doesn't like the idea. Swerve says last week he said it was not about him who pays for the actions. And what he meant to say was, your loved ones pay f- pay for them. He said that Hangman took away his opportunity, so now uh, his, he's talking to the son. He owes him a debt. Since Hangman's not here, it's going to be Hangman Jr. He has a baby. If he'll give him the opportunities, he will, but not today. And he leaves a shirt in the crib and says he will be forever indebted to him. And it's his father's fault. And he won't forget, and neither will the kid. And you see Nana saying they got to go. So they gave you the impression people were in the house, I guess. I can see how they could justify this in a wrestling, wrestling because these guys are, can be can sports entertain and use their license to get away with break-ins. Essentially, this is well done, but sometimes these segments take me out of it. But if they explain how the mother wasn't there, then you know maybe I'll you know I'm sure Hangman will have a dope promo for this. I hope this feud continues to be dope, and at least they made made this more personal with like you know a swerve. Like you know, what I mean, he's like taking like a title opportunity. Like you know, what I mean, this is like. I wish more people would, like, you know, be, you know, more uh, champions would be more fucking, you know, uh, encouraged to go break crimes of, like, their enemies as fucking, you know, against their enemies because they cost them title opportunities. You know what I mean? Like, at least he's taking that seriously, I guess. I, I just hope Shorty goes to the next level after this. You know what I mean? Tony rolls to the picture with RJ City. RJ tells her 15 minutes until current time in the in the silent movie, Tony's nervous. RJ shouts it out, um, shouts it out in a bullhorn like a carnival barker. Tony seems sad and is crying because of uh, because of, because she, she's feeling she wants to go home. RJ tells her about November eighteenth for the bigger picture. Tony asks about the butler, and RJ tells her he's right behind her is Luther, who's dressed up basically. His name is Luther, and she acts like he she's smart for calling him Luther, like she she named him. Basically, a good way to get Luther on screen for this role. I would have loved for RJC to be the butler, but whatever. I figured this uh, she would go for the TBS title, but she's getting a world title match against Sheeta at the pay-per-view, which means no other women's match, and also Sheeta's title win is just going to be continue to be what Asuka's title reigns are in the WWE, just filler and never about her being the face of the division. Sheeta versus Ruby, this is another one ruined by the tactics being done in the match. They definitely feel by making a discourse match. But I think Sheeta's definitely losing the title to Tony, and I think you could have made the TBS title more important with Tony because they're trying to mimic this Orange Cassie title thing with Statlander, but they don't really feature her all the time, you know what I mean? But you could have a legit dope feud with this. But you're going to have Sheeta in this match where Tony's going to be more over while Sheeta's supposed to be the face. 
Eventually, Ruby gets the um, back heel trip she was looking for earlier. They do a roll through multiple times for the pinning combos. Sheeta gets a missile drop kick after 10 punches. Ruby brings Sheeta down from the apron with the no future before the pitcher pitcher to come back. And it was a back and forth strike fest. Sheeta gets the last elbow strike before hoisting her up for a torture rack and plants her down and gets a sli- um, sliding elbow. Ruby spray, um, has spray paint in the padding and the turnbuckle and she spray paints herself. Or pretends to, and then uh, gives the can to Sheeta. But the commentators point out how they can just look at Ruby's face. But Ruby just leaves to get the title, and Sheeta then spray paints Ruby, which would have caused a DQ. But she does it to, to her title, and then Aubrey just takes the title away. This is fucking stupid, and they know it's stupid. There are people with brains over there, and I know the fandom has this obsession with pretending the billionaire being shitty and inept is like the way to go, but you know, it, it isn't. This is just fucking stupid. So Ruby chokes her with something and does a destination unknown, destination unknown, and then Sheeta kicks out. Tony was getting the was was getting the t- title shot, so I would have rather heard um, and Ruby for the title maybe I guess. Ruby eventually hits a no future. Sheeta immediately hits the katana. They both counter the finisher, then Sheeta gives a kick, and then a falcon arrow. Ruby gets a pinning combo. She got sent into the corner. Sheeta got a katana for the win. Tony came out after with her butler with the, with the, with the, with the filler on. And she's just doing the movements and poses. She acts like she's shocked by this. This match picked up. Um, this match picked up toward the end, basically. But that shit before was kind of fucking stupid. There are four ways. Uh, the four way on rampage. The four way on rampage determine who be facing Sheeta for the title. And of course, Abaddon won. The one time of the year they bring her out for Halloween shit. You could have her on more often. No one's stopping you from having more women matches on the show. So the main event was Orange Cassidy and uh, Okada versus Brian and Claudio. This match was good, you know. I'll still give Brian Pratt for selling his face, getting hurt from Okada and Orange Cassidy because uh, it sucks that it takes you out of the matches in AEW because you you, you know that Okada never is going to really be winning in the, in the matches. Like, Osprey can at least win and beat AEW guys, but Okada never really wins. So at least Brian sold something and people online thought it was like a real and they're trying to like, you know, like going, oh, look, Brian, like, you know, Brian always does that shit on purpose. And then they wonder why people get concerned. Because the ending was awkward with Claudio getting in every, getting people's faces, but they made people want to see Claudio versus Orange Cassidy at least. And Okada versus Brian too. I think they fucked up with the mock storyline and I feel like it was done on purpose to add to the safety issues. That I just don't care as much about Orange Cassidy's title reign unless maybe he's doing more heel shit or something. But I don't think other, I think other people could use the title right now, and you could have Orange Cassidy challenge for it once in a while since he has attachment to the title. Brian versus uh, Brian and Orange Cassidy start right out. I mean, I don't think I've seen this before. Brian Randhouse kicks him um, before um, Orange Cassidy could use a put his hands in his pocket. Brian just lays in kicks, rush on the wrist and arm. Orange Cassidy rolled through. He played dead for a bit. During the match, they announced that the world end pay-per-view on the commentary this time. Claudio gets in and starts powering Orange Cassidy around. <coughs> and it looked really impressive, though. Sorry, man, my voice. He did a bunch of slow kicks to mock him, and Orange Cassidy then tags in Akata. He got a big reaction. Akata had control, and Brian jumps off the apron before Akata can knock him down. Claudio and Okada strike back and forth. Okada got a big body slam. Orange Cassidy gets a tag and has a lazy elbow from the top. Claudio prepped up Orange Cass- uh, 
prepped for Orcas. He's luring him into the corner for the head slams. He went from he he front suplexes him on the up rope, and Brian has a diving knee while Orange Cassidy was draped. Brian has control during the picture and picture to come back. Orange Cassidy uses his quickness to avoid Claudio's offense. Claudio was outside. He um but he crawled um to their side and then crawls to crawls in uh, crawls in by their by their side to cut Orange Cassidy off from from uh, getting the tag. I thought it was more creative than the usual yanking your opponent from the apron. Orange Cassidy countered a gut wrench into a sunset flip, but Orange Cassidy ended up getting a DT eventually. Okada and Brian get cheers for being the illegal men. They exchange strikes back and forth. Brian eventually gets hit with a back elbow after running back and forth forever. Okada spikes him with a DT. Okada rolls through to the flapjack to Brian. Brian stomps on the elbow. Brian does a roundhouse kick nonstop. Okada got a roll up from Brian, missing one of the last roundhouse kick. Brian gets a LaBelle lob, but Okada got a pinning attempt. Okada missed a Rainmaker, and Brian let, the, let off chops. They both collided each other. Claudio and Orange Cassidy were legal. Okada high boots Claudio down when he caught Orange Cassidy's uh, crossbody. Orange Cassidy started to slow kick and started speeding them up. Claudio counters his DT into the giant swing. Orange Cassidy was about to grip on his head, and Claudio countered that, but Orange Cassidy countered that with a stun dog. And then Orange Cassidy gets a DT, but Brian breaks it up. Brian drop kicks Okada off the apron. Orange Cassidy crossbites onto Brian. He gets ready for the punch, but Claudio got the giant swing and he kept it going forever. Then he does a sharpshooter. Okada got him with a gun to. Um, Okada got him to drop the hold with a kick, and he gives a uh, um, and then he gives Claudio a neck break on the knee, knocks Brian off the apron, and does the elbow drop to Claudio. The zoom out for the rainmaker pose, and then the orange Cassie hugs him. And they zoom out again. Brian got booed for doing the missile drop kick, and after that, Brian blocks the rainmaker but gets hit with a drop kick. Orange Cassie gets a punch, but then uh, Okada got the rainmaker to Brian. Claudio gets a springboard arm arm uppercut. Then he hoists Orange Cassie up for the pop up uppercut, and he'll. And he wins the match, and he'll face Orange Cassidy for the title next week. Brian is selling his face, being hurt. You know, uh, people were checking on him. Uh, even um, BCC is out there. You know, then the the best friends and uh, you know Rocky and Hook were out there. Okada was kind of taunting Brian, and Claudio kind of got in his face. Hook and Yuta kind of got in his face a little bit. This was a good match. I really didn't want Okada and the team to lose, but they still kept interest with Brian Okada. Or, or I would like title, title holders losing title matches, but what non title matches, but whatever. It was a decent main event. There was just some other shit that wasn't enthralling. I wouldn't mind filler matches to hype up angles and promo, but I just feel like this company gets overshadowed by its discourse and all, all and all to facilitate Punk and Tony Khan's fucking ego. I don't think this part is hot enough for me to like watch it live weekly anymore. I say that and then and 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 they, and they get mad at me. And I just thought that the, the announcement with M Jeff and Omega was stupid. And if this rain, if this rain record meant so much, then maybe you should have built it up then. Like this, like like but you know, built it up a bit longer, or maybe the, them interact more than once. But I feel like BCC are staying baby faces, but the best friends are coming off more heelish. But I mean, who knows? Because BCC are in ten different fucking feuds, and it's hard to keep track. Overall, not really the best show. I did like the opening match. The main event. I did like the Swerve promo. Christian promo saved the Sting segment. Even 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 but even the shock jock shit is running dry. If there isn't anyone who will counter the heel edge lord shit, but I can't say anything else has really stood out. They can't really have. They can have all this filler, but they can't have more women on the fucking show. Let me go to Rampage. 
I like this episode. I figure Santana Ortiz would get the main event because they've had a decent build, solely um, been playing off of the um, out on Rampage. But I guess the storyline development at the end of the show was what the main, what the main event worthy after a really excellent match. So they're already in the ring when it started. I'll go over some of the stuff that really stood out. It was a basic hardcore match that, that when it started. I hate how much time is wasted getting weapons because there's so much wait time. Ortiz with his mustache and haircut kind of looks like Eric Andre had a, a, like a Latino replacement to fuck with his guests basically. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, weapons being used, but it didn't pick up until the middle toward the end. Santana's head was slammed through a table, uh, leaned against a guardrail with a power bomb. It was a nasty spot. There was a lot of force behind it. Santana suplexed Ortiz off the apron onto chairs. There was a good sequence with Ortiz and Ortiz got from two Germans, and they clocked each other at the same time and dropped. The story was that they had the same idea being partners for so long. They count- the, 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 the counters going on, and Santana rolling back with a cutter was dope. Uh, the Ortiz sold it like an RVD selling a DVD selling a DT like RVD selling a D RV never mind I, I thought I said RVD selling a DVD but you know that should be like a comedy sketch I did like the discus counter into a power bomb from Ortiz they could have been using the storyline for collision but they want to like give Rampage stuff at this point we know Rampage is just kind of a show becoming like heat they felt believable in their back and forth aggression with the strikes. Santana's discus was really solid. It was so you know he did a torture rack power bomb for the win. Ortiz didn't want a fist bump, but there was like I think there was some mutual respect. I think, but Ortiz didn't fist bump. But Sanjay approaches Ortiz. Ortiz doesn't want to talk to him, so you can assume they're going to have him sway, do some sway on him for the Kingston fucking stuff. Who knows? I I don't want Ortiz to join in because it'll be comedy and not concise booking. They did a countdown promo package for MJF and Omega. MJF goes over the great matches he had um, and how Omega gave him advice when he was coming up in the business. He respects Omega. Omega goes over being the best belt machine. The promo package was dope. They made it feel appealing as possible. But imagine this was for a pay-per-view again. Omega would have never thought MJF would be in the position. He would have laughed at him a year ago if he would say he's going to be champion. He wants to defend his record. They show clips of New Japan, some indie stuff for both these guys. It was really good. I still maintain my point omega wants to pay off his losses with one big win and they cut a video package music off because switchblade interrupts and now we get a zoom out of the sit down interview switchblade came in peace he's um by himself he wishes mjf luck he knows he's um, he's brittle and broken down but he said if, if he wins an elite if he wins an elite champion is waiting for him and then we see cows with mjf about joining the family mjf talks about the limitless potential being with cows and goes over that and says maybe he can be world champion because he is world champion, he doesn't need Callus to help him. He tells him to get his forehead checked out because it looks like a vagina, he has a vagina on it. So I guess we can assume both the Bullet Club and Callus family will, will probably get involved. But this is like a fine promo package. Even if I don't like that they're going, going this route on free television. Kip came out and talked shit about the Phillies and a typical heel insulting the crowd. Not quite Bill Byrne Philly, but this is fine. Like, you didn't need to go this long, and it, 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 but it's fine f- to get Kip some airtime, I guess. Kip then roasted, um, uh, he roasted them for being poor and not having teeth. Oh, sorry, the, yeah, sorry, then, um, uh, sorry, Mark Briscoe interrupted. Mark Briscoe, I forgot to write it down. But I go, Kip roasted him for being poor and not having teeth, and Mark clocked him. You know, and then that, that was basically it. So he's back again. Statlander addressed Willow and Sky about what's going on since being misted, and they have been acting a little crazy. And Sky says she's fine. And Willow says 
She's not too sure about that. She gets she gets it. It's not easy to fight the you know the, the stuff that they went through. Sky says worry about the match because that's what she's gonna do. So and then Anna interviewed about her title opportunity and Anna needed hey uh needs. And Anna needs Hager and Center to be there for her, for her like she's been there for them because this is a big opportunity. Callis interrupts and whispers into Hager's ear, and Matt Menard calls it out with sarcastic compliments to family. Callis see, see, uh, sees uh, he needs a tag team because the Jericho Omega duo is after him. Callis tells him to take care of Omega and Jericho, and then he leaves. And Garcia's mad that they're listening to this bald headed parasite. Anna says this is about her. You know what I mean? Then Ruby, then later they're walking away, and Ruby found Parker's comb, and he apologizes for her loss. And Parker says, if you ever wants to talk about it, and Ruby doesn't like being touched, and walks away. So I don't know what stories are coming out from this because Ruby does fit with the callous. Uh, does Ruby fit with the callous stuff too, or if the if the other JSS guys are being aligned with callous as well? I have no idea. It it would have been nice to get Abbott on some television time on other shows before doing this for television, but. That would mean having more women on the match on the show again, which is not allowed. She kind of like doing the clown on acid though when she came out with her, you know. Willow, Willow and Sky double teamed Abaddon while Anne left the ring. Willow caught Sky's boot and she was holding up, holding when she was holding up Abaddon. Willow was holding up Abaddon. Sky Blue was gonna fucking do something to Willow, so Willow caught the boot. Um, but it looked, uh, Abaddon got the advantage before the picture-in-picture. Picture. They had Tony Storm come out. Whenever they would go to Tony, they would ha- um, have it in um, black and white. They did some great stuff during the picture-in-picture, picture, you know. Willow dominate, dominated and pounced Anna. Sky got a diving cross. By the old nil moves on each other, Willow got a spine buster on Anna. Sky broke up the count. Sky was more interested in going toward Willow more than, uh, the, more than Willow was willing to go against her. Willow blocks the code blue, and uh, Willow is sent into the corner post. Shoulder first. Abaddon fought back against Sky and Anna. Sky breaks up the Queen Slayer with a thrust kick. Willow pull, pulled her out. Abaddon gets the leg scissor plant for the win. I'm sure she should have a good five minutes match, you know. You could let Anna J get something, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, but they, you're going to have Abaddon on more, I guess? I don't know. Uh, Acclaim cut a promo for their shtick about how long they've been champions because they're getting ready for the national 69 day. So this is why they did this whole fucking thing. Another sexual reference. Max and M. Jeff is invited to watch them 69 and make some more sexual references. And Bowen's sick of this. Bowen says they're only doing... Bowen says they're only going to 69 with everyone else. This stuff can be good when it's organic, but this really feels four stereotype shit going on where everything revolves around their personalities making nonstop sexual jokes. They showed a brief clip of Claudio and Orange Cassidy. It's, it's like some of the closeted, closeted right-wingers who fucking write this want to, like... Like, go all, this is how I am 24-7. You know what I mean? So let's make our fucking, you know, gay representation team fucking be, like, horny on me 24-7. I'm not saying you can't do that, but now since the whole personality is revolving around that. They showed a brief, brief clip of Claudio and Orange Cassidy at a press conference, and they swear they're gonna, sh- do, they're gonna, they swear they're gonna sh- um, show, um, show it on collision, basically. Takata and Fletcher was the main event. I figured Fletcher would. Lo- By the way, with the women's match, I can get seeing now Willow and Sky. How they're gonna get to a feud now? I guess. So I figured Fletcher would lose, and they'll make him a baby phase. But he actually gets like, he gets accepted in. Actually, this is a really solid match. You could have put this on Dynamite. These guys were doing a movie fight scene sequence. I was glad I was not doing move for move because it was too much. Takata did a blue thunder bomb before the picture in picture. 
Takashi had control of the break. They had a dope knee strikes. Fletcher sent Takashi off the ropes with the Enziguri. Cal says Fletcher needs an edge to his personality. It was a high-octane type of match, but they did a good back-and-forth. Fletcher gets a half-and-half, and Takashi gets a dope um, poison Rana, and Takashi gets a... Um, the Takashi line takes him out, but Fletcher gets a share drop brain buster. Cal surprises match is going on longer than he planned. The crowd was really into it. Takashi did a JML driver from the top rope, basically, I think. Something like a I think like a pump handle kind of thing in a way, or something along the lines. Maybe a Granny Powell driver. Uh, you know, t- they kept countering. Takashi gets a wheelbarrow German. They go back and forth, hard hitting strikes. Takashi gets a knee strike, and then uh, into the knee strike he does for the win, basically. Fletcher attacked Takashi and Hobbs with the chair. Hobbs is choking him, and Cal's breaks it up, and he's holding Fletcher back. He said that was great. That's the hate they wanted, and Fletcher earned it. So he's part of the family, and now they sold as well. And Hobbs Takashi eased into the idea. But I wonder if Mark David also joins when he comes back. But it was fine. The main event was good, and the, the result had consequences overall. It was a decent show. I'm glad that this main event went in, was all said and done because it was definitely the match of uh, the, the 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 match you end of show with, and it was better than Santana Ortiz. Maybe because they had bells and whistles to it, but uh, something that just takes away from the quality sometimes. You know what I mean? Now let me go through SmackDown quickly. 7.47, maybe I can do this before fucking 8 o'clock reaches. I, I, I doubt it, though. Let's see if I can do this. The pretty decent show. I wouldn't say it was a blow away, but they're, they, 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 they're getting Knight ready for the title shot. thing is, we know he isn't winning the title, and it'll be forced by the new establishment online that they're not using him, so it'll be another real-life discourse storyline of someone like Knight leaving for another company down the line, so he gets pushed over there, maybe. Even Corey Graves coming out and saying it would be more of a disappointment if Knight wins the title. And that's just to try to upset and that's just trying to upset us now, you know what I mean? The guy is talented, but I hate how forced the discourse around LA Knight has become basically. I didn't think the internet discourse with Brian was completely organic back then either. It was like the prototype of the new kind of babyface they're gonna create. You know, everyone wanted to be like The Rock and it looked like they're doing an impression basically. Like, you know, like basically doing a pressure on the rock, like, you know, like, you know, uh, like people who do rock impressions are like, you know, the bunch of like the mixtape rappers who came out in the early 2000s or late 90s who try to sound like Jay-Z. So I, I just, so LA Knight better not turn out to be another Sicario, you know what I mean? I, I, that's my point. But this promo was decent. Thing is, if it doesn't involve Austin rock impression, he brings up the inner sh- internet shit about suffering Sakatosh. It was it was a good callback, and it did definitely make Knight look like a threat, right? The the whole the whole night, basically. But no one's buying that he's winning unless there's some like shit that will be breaking news where Reigns will have to forfeit the fucking title, maybe. Because some news about him becomes overwhelming that that the match won't like, the, like you know what I mean. That that's one of the things that, that like since like everyone's like oh no no it'll end properly. Part of me feels like the symbolism of it that revolves around Roman Reigns will be that it didn't end properly. I don't know. So I looked at they set up the ten minute entrance for Reigns. As he puts his belt up in the sky, Knight comes out to interrupt it and walk right past it again to the ring for the contract. Aldous into the ring to oversee the entire thing, by the way. Knight hurries Reigns to sign. Reigns looked like a bit took a bit of time to get to the adjusted um as he was saying like he was getting adjusted to like how he's getting ready for a, uh, a big time contract signing. So all this was kind of went over shit, basically. Knight signed the contract, came in through the pen away that Knight used. 
He has his own in range, calls Knight an idiot. He thinks Knight must be stupid to just sign like that. He asked Knight if he's ever had even a real contract signing or if he's ever had a title match in WWE. And, all, and that means Knight has no clue what he's doing right now. But he says, don't worry, Roman will go easy. You can go easy on him for the first time, nice and gentle, and calls him sweetheart. It, it, it didn't come off like genuine. This felt forced, too. This felt like, a, this felt like a, I'm watching Billions dialogue. The pen doesn't work through uh, work though, and Heyman had to find a new one. And Reigns does sign. Also, this concludes his responsibilities and wishes them luck. Knight says he's currently the head of the table and wants Roman to acknowledge him. Um, so then Roman just basically sits back down, like you know. And the Knight says Roman's right about his lack of experience. He thinks it's sweet. He thinks it's sweet of him to be so gentle. He wants that because um, because it means Reigns is already already beat. This might be the first time, but after only a year of sitting in the head of the, ta- head of the table, about he's about to take Ro- Roman Reigns' title. He's climbed so fast, Roman won't even know what hit him. And after Crown Jewel, um, he'll be, um, you know, he'll he'll be pissed off as Knight w- wins with the title. Basically, this might be Knight's first time, but he only needs one time. And Roman took forever to get there after doing after doing suffering succotash, while Knight only took one year. And now everyone knows who the game is. There's nothing Roman basically there's nothing Roman can do about, you know, Knight winning the title. Which is an insult, the fact of life. He can he can't stop this gravy train, he can't stop being the man they call the megastar, with everyone saying LA Knight. And then Reigns interrupts by throwing the table onto him. He beats him up a bit before another table before bringing another table into the ring and Knight fight back. Jimmy shows up and Roman thought he had it handled, but he went through the table basically. I like the segment. I'm shocked they only, they only went with the WWE narrative route of Knight only been doing this for one year, when it was longer. Like, it was longer on the main roster. I thought this was like the the perfect feud for Reigns to kind of mention his career outside of WWE as well. I guess making it a big deal. Uh, I, I guess making a big deal out of the contract signing was like you know supposed to be this big own. I guess. I guess like it represents like I guess like it's like you know you like only the big stars get like contracts signing like that. It was a fine segment though, you know what I mean, and uh, you know, uh, and night throughout, no pun intended, the night was kept strong to, and got over on Reigns, but we know Knight is not winning the title. That's what's taking me out of it. But at least with Jay, you could argue because he pinned Reigns, but we knew this will be a discourse result, and the internet fandom will be behind him still. Which is fine, that's good, you should be behind them. But I, I can also point out that it's also forced a little bit. This is why it's important to have strong mid-card run with one of those other titles before you gradually go up to the main event. Then we saw Roman in his, in his locker room with Heyman and Jimmy comes in and props down on the couch. Goes off about how he ran plays and goes over each play in football terms. Also, they're, do, they're doing these fucking, you know, promotional marketing thing for the NFL world titles, basically. Basically, Roman wants Jimmy to handle night, essentially. I assume Solo would not be there, but then he it made sense because he kind of was surprised when he showed up during the Cena segment. This is a fine segment. I pointed out on Twitter that the I, the IWC now, like the internet community now, for, for, for WWE are such establishment people that they have done a revisionist history with John Cena. And to their credit, they have a fan, they have a fan base that you know now does not so much rebellious against the program as it used to be. 
So his promo Cena's cutting now wouldn't have flown 10, 12 years ago. He tried the same spiel numerous times in 2010 and 2012, time to time, hinting at leaving or retiring. And back then, we assumed it, we assumed it because careers were kind of shortened back 10, 20 years ago. People would act like Cena or someone like Styles were the tail end of their careers by 2013. So because the Attitude Era trained us to think careers ended early and all that. So Cena, so Cena did this shit. And we used to shit on it. But now this pr- perfect time to do this because the crowd is cheering him. And people think Cena's there for the fans. And he might be genuinely at his core. But the real life discourse, he admitted that if the strike was over, he would be gone the next day. So it's clear that he's supposed to be going more heelish. I bet if the stri- strike ends, then he'll go, he'll, he'll go and this will make his words mean shit, basically. So Biggie had a lot of serious moments in his career, but he hasn't um, felt this way since he was almost fired 20 years ago. Another false narrative to really sell you on the rise, just like they did with Austin. Not saying he didn't work hard or what or easier or anything like that. He had to dig deep in that moment, and now 20 years, he shared this... Um, he shared this with the fans. They've given him so much. Other... Uh, um, they've given... He, they've given to each other for all the time. The fans have supported him when he needed it. And the most important thing is that they've given him respect. Crown Jewel feels serious to him because he's worried about losing the support and respect, which hasn't hasn't been an issue for him the last, for, for twenty years. Right, right, the, right, right there. You, that's bullshit, right there. Um, because he was clearly shaken by the fans booing him, basically. You know, like back when, like you know, in the ECW one night stand, he appreciates that, but he can't ignore the, the he can't ignore the math. But the crowd basically tells him he still got it. He asks, what if I don't? I, I was really losing at this because this is this really like an over-the-top, dramatic, like Aaron Sorkin-level fucking drama really going on here. We can't ignore that he hasn't, he hasn't delivered in a long time. And if he loses the crowd connection, then he'll lose the ability and desire to wrestle. And he doesn't want to lose any of that. The only thing, the only thing left for him right now is to win at Crown Jewel. And WWE uses must-see all the time, but at Crown Jewel, it's a must-win, basically. You know, it's not only just must-see, it's a must-win. He knows um, how hard he worked to earn the respect of the fans, and it's going to take guts to stand where he stand here and he promises to win. It's time to deliver, and Heyman interrupts. He might be the wise man to Reigns. He's not out here for that capacity. He's out here with no hustle, loyalty to anything but the truth, but definitely with respect. And he asks for permission to enter the ring. Cena allows it, and Heyman's there to offer a handshake. Cena eventually offs to do it. Heyman thanks Cena for the house and for 21 years of sold-out arenas based on the name. He brings up that he drafted John Cena to SmackDown 21 years ago when Vince gave him a draft choice from OVW. But I thought Stephanie McMahon was a GM when he, when he debuted, but whatever. I guess in 2002, Vince did run it for a bit, so even in kayfabe, Vince could have asked Heyman. Heyman respects Cena. He raised his kids to be more like Cena than him. But at SummerSlam, Reigns proved that Cena is not the greatest of all time in the ring anymore. But as long as Cena can pick up the mic, he's the greatest at communicating to the crowd. And then the crowd will boo Heyman out of the arena, but they'll do anything with Cena and will follow him anywhere on the mic. Cena could have stayed on top like that for a long time, just like Heyman has been around forever until he pissed off the bloodline. Roman might be might have broken your ribs, but Cena has broken ribs. He can recover from that. But if Solo hits him with a Samoan spike, then Cena can't talk anymore. They could take that dangerous weapon away from Cena at Crown Jewel. So- Solo, um, um, Solo, um, 
takes away Cena's voice and the bloodline has taken Cena away from the fans. And Cena's out here um, bearing it out to the fans but, need, but needing to win. But b- before, the, um, before the one match that Cena must win, he can't win. That's not a prediction. The spoiler Solo then attacks him. They brawl. Solo basically nails him with a Samoan spike. It feels like you could have built this, but if Cena's winning, then I could see why they did it here, but whatever. I hope Solo wins. This plays off the history because Heyman was a GM when Cena was on the rise, so the interaction was decent. It was well done when Heyman goes out there and tell you, uh, you know, tell you that when when uh, when Heyman goes there. But, but to tell you the truth, like Heyman's promos are not always like the super solid, like you know, as it used to be. Like you know, what I mean, he'll have his moments, but sometimes I think he tries too hard to do the over the top caricature shit. So like you know, so so, so that, that's basically the setup for that. So then Knight had another promo for the match. And and the match with Jimmy was fine, but I'm not really into the the Jimmy character. It was a fine match though. Night one, Reigns comes out of nowhere to attack, and he missed. Um, and then uh, and and Knight gets him with the BFT that made Knight look strong. Basically, I I thought I know they're taping the next week's show because of the Saudi stuff, but this is fine. I hope Knight gets something out of this. You know, I just don't buy him winning the, t- the title. But I hope, but I'm buying Solo more winning beating Cena basically. And this Jimmy shit better get to the point because right now he's annoying me more and more. Basically, you know, Profits beat LWO and with with, with Carlito Santos being the guys, because Ray got attacked backstage by Logan, which caused a distraction. Profits had a new team th- theme too. Thing is, I I wanted to root for the stable, but being being on this brand with the bloodline dominating, it's hard for Lashley to be the head of some stable that won't go to the main event level since Reigns is the one on top. And I'm sure there'll be more with LWO and Ray because now he doesn't want them around for his match and then they're getting attacked and they're taking their eyes off the prize. So Logan for the promo, Logan didn't really address it because he was fucking with the interviewer by asking if he had any more questions and he just walked off and Logan walked by KO who's wearing a Ray shirt which Logan didn't like and then Theory and Waller coming to interrupt and they're being annoying and KO wants to punch them both in the face with one punch. The officials break it up and then they started like talking again and Owens out of nowhere knocks them out with one punch. Both of them go down and he brags about it. If Logan didn't have them have the association with Dom, I would say Theory and Waller would make great associates for uh, Logan Paul. I could see KO feuding with Logan for the title if he wins it. Cedric interrupted Dragon Lee's promo to basically say they're kind of the same and goes over the hopes of when the crowd chanted for him to be signed. Um, you know, he got a video package to really promote him, like he was going to be a, get a push again. Cause he, and he got a good showcase. This was like probably the most notable thing he's done in a while. I wish they didn't have to destroy the, the, uh, the push of the momentum of the whole Hurt business because I feel like, you know, a fool if I think Cedric will be used again properly. And and he's on Lassie's brand, so now maybe he goes with them again. I don't know, but he better not. Otherwise, he's going to look like a chump again. But Dragon Lee won, but it was a pretty good fucking match. They showed a promo with Chelsea and Niven with Shotzi. They were mad that they didn't get a host Halloween Havoc, but they basically got into an argument, and Aldous makes the match. Shotzi won. Shotzi really uh, uh, creeps me out with the fucking spikes in her hair and, like, and how cartoonish her smiling is. Bianca had a promo, and this was fine because... And Shotzi won, basically, right? I just said, right? Um, anyways, uh, Bianca had a promo. Um, where was I? And it was fine because she's been on television, so now when she has a promo, she has shit to say because she's been being put out there every single week to reiterate the same point. But the bad news is that when she's cutting a promo on feeding with Bailey, like, we didn't already see that enough already. 
She decided to be back, and for the last two months, she's been repaying the attack of damage control and getting ready to come back. Naturally, you uh, you know, uh, we basically get a video fucking package of what happened. Bianca said that it's still hard to watch getting taken out just two weeks after losing her title on a Money in the Bank cash-in. That was the first time that she was out, and she has been home with just her thoughts. All she's been thinking about is making damage control pay. She always gets up after getting knocked down, but this time she couldn't let it go. And she goes that vengeance has consumed her for the first time in her life and it motivated her to get back here and come back with a plan. She talked with like Aldis and at the Crown Jewel, she'll get a rematch against Io Sky for the title. But that's not all. Next week she'll take out Bailey and promise to take out everyone in damage control and get her title back. So she's cool to be back, but I was hoping for more character of like I mean maybe we'll get more evolving character after this loss. At least she's not fooling with ba- Bailey totally. She's gonna go after EO, so that'll probably be a better dynamic, but they haven't really been using EO properly also as a character. But the reason why I look forward to this is because we haven't heard from her in a bit. So I hope this it doesn't this feud isn't forever. Cause I get sick of the Bianca Bailey and damage control feud. Maybe if they didn't overdo it like the for a lot like the same type of results basically. I hope EO still keeps the title and not the uh, kid's title though. It was a decent show. Nothing nothing too crazy, but it was fine, you know. Now it's 8.03, so I guess I'm three minutes late. They're probably starting with MGF and Omega already. Peace out.